keep getting the feeling that we're on another planet. Roads that disappear and then reappear again. Others that are suddenly interrupted and... Help me, somebody! Oh, God! What's that? What's the matter? What happened? Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are uh, m- much later than we anticipated, finally getting around to bringing you the next episode. Yeah, we, uh. know, we knew you were close to rebelling, close to... Uh... <laughs> close to close to going off and listening to other podcasts, which yeah, is definitely something we, we cannot that. allow. No, so. no, no, there can only uh, be one. This is like this is like a Highlander sequence. The Highlander podcast. That's excellent. Oh my god! So is it actually? No, that means that if you behead us, then then that's the only way to stop us. That's the only way to stop us. Well, I guarantee you, beheading us would stop us. (laughs) Yeah, I guarantee. I I guarantee that. I mean, how many Highlander films were there? I mean, because there was like... Oh, I can tell you how many I saw, and there was a grand total of one. I only saw the oh, first really? one. I never have seen any of the sequels. <laughs> okay, well, okay, okay. Or any of the series, believe it or not. Well, I never saw any of the television series, but uh, wow, what a tangent to go off on to. But, mm-hmm. uh, see, I, I'm one of those people who's never really thought that the first movie was a, a great movie at no, all. I think, it, I think it's really kind of messy and sloppy mm-hmm. and, and kind of... Uh, let's just say incorrectly cast and indifferently mm-hmm. indif- indifferently scripted. Mm-hmm. But there's something to it. It's it's, yeah. it's kind oh, of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. It's visually it's entertaining. Ir- visually entertaining. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the director of it, Russell Mulcahy. I, I don't think he ever made a completely good movie ever. Mm-hmm. But he's made some films that I've kind of enjoyed, yeah. like Razorback right, and right. Uh, The Shadow, which is a is a damn mess, but has some really good chunks. Mm-hmm. But uh, the uh, funniest thing to me about Highlander is I never never all that well. I mean, I, I kind of like the first movie. Mm-hmm. The second one. I saw in the theater, like the oh, cheapy theater, and it was such a freaking disaster area of a movie. <laughs> I was immediately fascinated by you know the fact that they spent all this money on this yeah. thing, and it was so obviously a disaster and didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And then they they put out another edit of it, which is like, no, 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 mm-hmm. we 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 put all this we stuff back it, in, we, we tried to fix yeah. it. And it's like, no, you didn't fix it. There's, <laughs> you know, to to coin a term, mm-hmm. there's no polishing a turd, but. It's still just absolutely. It's it is a beautiful train wreck of a film. Mm-hmm. Highlander Two is one of those things where you, as you watch it, you you know, wow, this sucks. 
but there's something there. And <laughs> yeah. it's pretty much just yeah, kind of, you know, this like the that. audaciousness of uh, the set design and the audaciousness yeah. of, of, you know, completely chucking out the, the premise that made the first film actually interesting and yeah. going, no, 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 they're aliens. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and then there was a third one, which attempted to, just really attempted mm. to ignore the second one completely. Yeah. It yeah. was kind of like, okay. Mm. And there was a fourth one that kind of that kind of like slammed the movies and the TV series that I never watched together, mm-hmm. which actually I don't remember being too awful. But it's it when the best I can say about a series of films, mm-hmm. hell, there may have been a fifth one. Now that I think of it, I think there was a fifth one, and I think I watched it. I, the, you, <laughs> you may be right. I honestly cannot tell you how many of those things there there are. But <laughs> oh my God, let's leave Highlander but, alone. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it right now, <laughs> although. It would be fun to it would be fun to kind of like we did mm-hmm. like uh, Jeff and I did with the Beastmaster trilogy mm. to kind of examine the Highlander films as people who aren't particularly interested yeah. in the it, things. It would be interesting to see you know that that actually would be a fun idea for a show just to you know see what could be what quality could could if you could dig you know some, <laughs> something good to say about them. But uh, well, I mean, I'm always I, I guess the reason I'm I'll, I always go to the genre sequels when I when I want something interesting to view mm-hmm. is you can never tell. I mean, case in point, um, just a few weeks ago, I I watched Scanners two. No, which I've never seen that. I've... Well, uh, there's a shot, shot Factory now has a streaming mm-hmm. service. Yeah, and uh, so I finally watched Scanners two, and you know what? It's not bad. Really? It really cool. isn't. Cool. I was quite surprised. Mm-hmm. It's not bad at all. So. Uh, I will eventually watch the third one because I think mm. the Shout Factory is streaming that one Are they? as well. And it's just one of those things where I, 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 it's love of the genre, but at the same time, it's this kind of well, mm-hmm. morbid curiosity. I guess <laughs> I can't stop sure. myself yeah. in a way. But so, what is your uh, uh, what, if any, is your interest level in the new Terminator? Are you? You know, honestly, until I saw the trailer, my my interest level was absolutely nil, possibly negative. And the now trailer that, made you more interested? Hell yeah. Uh-huh, interesting, because it actually, I wasn't that interested to begin with, but the trailer actually kind of made me a little less really? interested. And that's not to say it might not be good, but when I, that, when they show those scenes that, yes, they are going to have a scene where, where Arnold has to say, you know, I'll be back or whatever, well, you yeah, know, but, and I was just like, but, oh, fuck, but see, are you still the, doing this Yeah, but too? in that scene, what I notice mm-hmm. is that that Terminator has whitish gray hair mm-hmm. and the mystery the the mystery behind that that i've what i've heard right is that they had to send a terminator model back to the 50s mm-hmm. oh, and okay. that terminator model has is, actually is aged, actually is a, stayed actually there stayed there and is actually aged yeah and at this mm-hmm. point in the timeline is you know has yeah. been around doing its job mm-hmm. you know that you can send it back in time but you can't really mm-hmm. yank it forward yeah and um the, essentially, the more I find out about this this mm. film, the more I'm thinking, wow, this. Mm. They seem to have thought basically the last Terminator film, that god awful Terminator Salvation, yeah, which nobody, I didn't see. yeah, nobody yeah. thought anything out in that piece of shit film. Yeah. I mean, I was literally an hour into it, and I'm already going. They didn't think this part of it through at all, <laughs> and then a few well, minutes later, oh, they didn't think this part of it out at all right. <laughs> it just kept well, you know going and going and yeah. they didn't think any of this out well i never saw 
movie-wise, I've never seen anything past the first two, you know, which are a blast, you know. Yeah, which, which are the two to, to um, really concern yourself But with. I certainly open, I'm open to the possibility that this new one could be good because I think I've told you before that I thoroughly enjoyed the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I didn't yeah. watch them when they were on yeah, because, again, I just wasn't really interested. The movies had lost my interest, and I wasn't, you know, and, and uh, finally had somebody give me the, the two seasons that it lasted and watch it. I was just like, damn, I, this was really, really well done show. And it's a, and it's a disappointment just, that they didn't get to do a third know, season because that, that cliffhanger ending at the end oh, of the second God. season is a hell of a kick. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, th- I think, it, I think it was a good show too. I was watching it when it was broadcast. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's the way it is. Like I say, the Terminator three isn't a bad movie. It's just not a good movie. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's okay. Uh-huh. Not bad, but Terminator Salvation that's cheese grater over the eyes, man. That's it's it's mind-bendingly bad. It's just so stupid a movie. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the there's nothing more disturbing mm-hmm. than watching a movie that does something that you know the creators thought was clever, yeah. and the the reaction you're having is you're a fucking bunch of idiots, <laughs> and it just happens over and over. And that movie, we're just like, oh, this was oh wow. A stupid decision you just made. Now is this the one with Christian Bale or yeah, what's that? yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, essentially, they make so many mistakes in Terminator Salvation that it's just mind-bending. I mean, and what kills me is they make mistakes that are just—they're dumb from a—they're dumb from a, not just a story point of view. They—they're dumb from the point of view of well, now I'm no no longer buying the physical reality of what you're doing, right? Because I cannot believe that someone would do physically what you just did. Mm. Not that it is an impossible thing to do, mm. but that someone would think, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> As in, oh yeah, uh-huh. I'll just dive off of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> before the rope I'm attached to, the bungee cord I'm attached to is secured by anybody. Oh god. For no reason because we're not under fire. There's not <laughs> some imperative that says you better go fast. Right. right. It's just things like that throughout yeah. the movie where that are taking you out of it and going, This is the stupidest shit you could have thought of at this juncture. Why are you making this choice? Yeah. Eh. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. It's 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 terrible. It's actually uh, it's the kind of terrible that would be really good with friends and beers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. no, no. so I have to keep it so, in mind for our next turkey night oh, yeah. that we always have after Thanksgiving, it's, our bad movie night. And it'd be a good choice. Like, yeah, it really looks like it. Uh, I, I mentioned to you earlier that I caught Kingsman, the Secret Service, yeah, the new. Yeah, uh, so you really like that? The new uh, Matthew Vaughn film, which is amazing. Cool. I really really liked it. Uh, also, really enjoyed Jupiter Ascending. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I have a, it's my favorite Wachowski film since uh, Speed Racer, and oh, I'm, cool. I'm a big fan of Speed Racer. Although, uh, apparently, well, apparently in the past few years, Speed Racer is finally reaching that level of acceptance that I had immediately with it. Which, yeah, I'm kind of noticing. I didn't get to see it, but I've seen little clips from it, and it looks like a blast. I mean, it looks really entertaining. Oh, Speed Racer's amazing. But uh, but I've kind of noticed. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's kind of reaching an audience, kind of getting a cult, you know, following. Uh, people starting to check it out now on video, and then yeah. you know, and then it's it's starting to get a little bit more appreciation for being a good movie. Oh, here's something. Uh, just last night, actually, finally caught up with uh, Cold in July, the uh, the film adaptation of the Joe R. Lansdale novel. Mm-hmm. A big fan of the novel from way back. Mm-hmm. Have you have you caught? Have you seen it? No, I actually have it. Okay. On, it's actually on order right now from Blu-ray. And had we not all been had we not been covered in ice last week, it might have actually gotten <laughs> here by now. But I do have it coming in. But I did not see it. I didn't see it at all at the theater. But I've okay. just heard so much good about it, and I certainly enjoyed the story. So I, I went ahead and ordered the Blu-ray because it was cool. fairly inexpensive. So um, I, I think you're going to like it. Cold in July. It is a really good adaptation of the novel. The novel is one of my favorite of Lansdale's books. Oh, it's books, great, so. great. And very. Uh, I think uh, I believe uh, they've been doing uh, the bottoms. Uh, I believe with. Um, oh, are they? The I think that was a definite. I mean, I think they've been working on it. That the bottoms with um, um, uh, 
Bill Paxton directing. Uh, oh, good. Well, so, that'd yeah. be the first thing he's done since Frailty. Uh huh. Which oh, was okay. uh, which is awesome. Which yeah. is a great yeah. film. Yeah. yeah, but no, I'm pretty sure Bill Paxton is directing uh, The Bottoms, which is another okay. one of my favorite okay. Lansdale books. So. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, good book, mm-hmm. very good book. But you know, I still I still live in hope that will will uh, and apparently we are going to see something soon. Uh, uh, perhaps a, uh, a cable series based on the Hap and Leonard novels. So. Oh yes, I've heard that. Yeah, that would be yeah, great. Yeah. That would be great. But uh, we could go on babbling about this for forever. First yeah. of all... Well, the show's got beyond Nashy, and we've gone way, way, way beyond, beyond Nashy. Nashy. Uh, tonight, of course, folks, we are uh, going to cover a film that um, I've been a fan of for uh, several years now, and that uh, is not that hard to come by if you wish to view it. It's called Murder Mansion, and it has many other titles as well. The mm-hmm. uh, film was released in 1972, and from what I can tell, played under various titles and drive-ins for several years after that, and of course has turned up on more than a few um, public domain um, DVD sets mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. It is a, a Spanish-Italian co-production, and uh, it has a wonderful feel and a wonderful cast, and is a movie that I am a big, big fan of. I think we'll get to talk about the uh, Gwenometer before it's over with. <laughs> but um, that's what we're covering on tonight's Beyond Nashi episode, Murder Mansion from 1972. And uh, we'd like to also remind you that uh, uh, although we do have the last last episode, we we had absolutely zero none zero zilch feedback, which is the first time in years. And mm-hmm. uh, this time, uh, our cup runneth over. Yeah, I think we sounded pitiable enough and uh, self <laughs> self loathing enough that you all took mercy on us and sent us some mail. So we I'm, have. Some... I'm sure the visions of us standing there with a razor blade <laughs> dragged, you know, just yeah. poised right above our wrists, may have caused some people to actually yeah. send us some uh, feedback. So, not wanting to sound pitiable, let me sound thankful. That, of course, we've got several pieces of correspondence to respond to in the last segment of the Mm -hmm. podcast, and we will get to that after our discussion of the film. So, hang loose, folks. Remember, you can get uh, you can get back to us at uh, email. uh, Our email is uh, nashicast at gmail dot com, or you can join us over on the Facebook page. And so, with that, we will take a quick break, come back, and we will talk murder mansion. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts, describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer? Wasn't that an 80s cop show on ABC with David Raish? This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Wait, that was Sledgehammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion.
let's discuss Murder Mansion from 1972. As I mentioned, this is an Italian-Spanish co-production. Heavy on the Spanish, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we have here is, um, as I say, this is not a hard film to come by. And one of the neat things about this is that in uh, kind of shoring up my thoughts about it, going through it a couple of times, getting mm-hmm. getting all my ducks in a row as far as my impressions of the film and why, why I enjoyed it so much the first time I've watched it and why I've enjoyed it on repeated viewings, I did a little research online. Often with the films that we cover... There's not a lot of not a lot of coverage out there on the web where people talk about a, talk about a particular film that we're th- we're going to be talking about. Right. There's a you know it's such a niche thing that there's some conversation mm-hmm. but not a lot. Mm-hmm. One of the neat things about Murder Mansion is that it has been so easily available and so uh, I guess it, it's been considered something that no one else really talks about yeah. to the point where it appears that there are a lot of people who have been talking about it. Oh, yeah. It's... I was able to find all kinds of reviews of the film online, all of which I didn't find a single negative review of the film, mm-hmm. not one. Yeah. There's so much written about this film out, filtered out all over the web that I could locate, and I didn't do an in-depth search. I just did this kind of a surface skim. Lots of different reviews, lots of all of it positive. I even found two, count them, two different places where people have have set out to use the film as kind of something that to, to kind of delineate how you can use the setup and settings and characters of it to build a module for role-playing games. Oh my gosh. To like fold it into something like Chill <laughs> or gosh. Call of Cthulhu or something wow, like that. that's pretty awesome. And I can see that. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it makes perfect sense once you... It does. I mean, you don't even have to read their take on it, which gets pretty lengthy and they start talking in depth about it. But as soon as you think about it, well, yeah, yeah this is could, kind yeah. of, uh, there's so many things about this it's movie. It's got a classic setup that can go in a lot of different directions and a lot of different, and, and something else too I'll say is is I think that, see if you agree with me on this or not, is that uh, this is a film that because of the particular atmosphere it's going for, because of the way it's filmed, the it is not damaged too much, I think, by an inferior print. Like, you know, even though no. this is like, it, it now, you know, yeah, we would love to see it maybe a little more correctly framed and in a really nice pristine print, but I really don't think in this case, the fact that we're watching a lesser print with this film, it, there may, you know, it really may have even, who knows, made some, it may have enhanced some certain scenes or it may have given it even more of a of a creepiness to it now because of the print being not, not, not just superb. Well, there is that thrill that... um I don't think a lot of people. I think I, I'm willing to give this thrill up, but there's still the the joy of this particular thrill, which is the discovery of something previously unknown mm-hmm. by accident. Yeah, which is something that used to happen when you would watch late night television and you'd see a listing in the TV guide mm-hmm. or in the newspaper oh, yeah. or wherever, and you mm-hmm. go, "What in the hell is this thing with the strange kind mm-hmm. of maybe horror film title?" Right, and you watch it. And you're right, it's probably not the best print. Maybe mm. it's a little too dark, and there's mm. a couple of scenes you can't tell what the hell is happening. Yeah. <laughs> but there's something about that film that kind of grabs you and mm. sticks with you. And that kind of thrill of discovery, it, it's harder to come by these days. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I think we're slowly moving into a world where that's going to start to happen again because there are so many ways to stream movies yeah. now, yeah. and your choices are so mm-hmm. multied and you know, mul- so, so, there's so many there's so many various ways in which you can catch different films mm-hmm. or find different things that 
if you can ever stop yourself from just mm-hmm. paging through the possibilities right. and actually land on something and watch it, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's where that thrill of discovery can finally start to kind of come back again because mm-hmm. you can't do that on television anymore. It's right, just right. those th- those things don't exist. It's not like when we were kids and you know people would have a UHF station or a local independent television station that would run weird ass mm-hmm. shit on the weekends or late at night or on Saturday afternoons. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. What's funny is I think that there are a couple of stations we have that are kind of trying to give a little bit of that feel, like you know what I'm oh, talking about. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, like the L Ray channel. Yeah, things that things like that, and then there's another one like um, Me TV. Yeah, who are trying to end it, but again, you're probably not going to come across what you're talking about, like where we occasionally could come across <clears throat> some Euro horror, like you know, late at night, you know, that you never heard yeah. before. But they are trying to do some of the movies and TV shows that go in there. I think they're trying to kind of capture that feel of. Of, of the old UHF F kind of you know channels you know now yeah, there, there are yeah. certain UHF things that don't need to come back like for instance I remember our UHF channel channel 17 here would occasionally show films out of sequence like they would show the like you would you oh, would really go, like the reels right yes 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 you oh would yes God. it did it did and it was especially fuck with you when it was a film you'd never seen before uh, <laughs> I'll never forget the first time they showed a cutter uh, cutter's way which I really enjoy that movie but I'd always wanted to see it and the first time it finally came on TV and I was real excited about about watching it uh, and uh and 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 it took me a while though to figure out because I had not seen the film they literally went to a commercial and came back and jumped to the last third of the film and then went to a commercial and came back to really? what they had skipped. And yeah, and it took me a little while to realize what was happening because I wasn't familiar with it. <laughs> that was, but yeah, that and that and cutting that and going to commercials in the middle of like someone speaking oh. a sentence and then coming back from commercials in the and middle being, of the dialogue. And yeah, and some, yeah. yeah, yeah, those were those, those UHF things we can, we can, <laughs> we can leave behind. Yeah, without that crap. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. This to say the least, if not less, well, the the thing about the discovery of Murder Mansion is that I saw that when I first saw it, I didn't catch it on some broadcaster, and it wasn't mm. some part of some big mm. DVD collection that I finally decided, oh, okay, well, out of these ten or twelve movies, I'll you know what the mm. hell I'll watch this one. Uh, what it is is I actively I kind of knew the title mm-hmm. and uh, sought it out and rented it and uh, watched mm-hmm. it that way and really enjoyed it and fell in love with it immediately. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I think. The, I think the reason that there are so many people who have written, uh, you know, apropos of nothing, it's not mm. as if somebody, you know, some new big badass DVD edition of this thing came out and that therefore it deserved a lot of attention all at once. These right. are, you know, these are uh, reviews that have been written and posted up on the web over the course of a decade plus, maybe even 15 years at this point, mm. with different people discovering it at different times and talking about the film. And I think what it is is that there, this is a movie that, has the qualities that will grab you, and they're they're mm-hmm. they're they're an interesting combination. The the movies, uh, it's very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. It's got kind of a an old dark house feel mm-hmm. to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's got a creepy foggy cemetery. Yeah. It's got yeah. a disparate group of people gathered yeah. in a in a location where they're kind of trapped. Uh, it's well, I mean, it's a weird combination of different horror things. It's like part haunted house, mm-hmm. uh, part mystery, part kind of part giallo mm-hmm. just a little mm-hmm. yeah um uh, it's definitely got tinges of supernatural thriller mm-hmm. but you know kind of sprinkled all over the whole thing and it does a very good job of balancing these ingredients and doling them out in such a way that it's a while before you really know what it's going to end up being you know right. because it's it's yeah it has the classic setup that you know because all these films we've talked about like old dark house with murder mysteries and these kind of things start with the thing of either 
all the characters intentionally going to one location where they've all been invited. We've already seen that with like the murderers among the thirteen, you know. Right. Or you have characters all going in the same direction and inadvertently ending up in the same place, which is what this film is. And right. uh, and and again, it's like you said. You know, it's a while, but you know, it has all these elements. You don't know if it's going to be a mystery. Is it going to be a giallo? Is it going to be supernatural, you know, uh, explanation? Because it, it does a nice job of, of, of really making a convincing case for all of these before it finally tells you what's happening. And the beauty of it is that, is that the thing that uh, I'm a sucker for in this movie has in spades is at when it starts out, you're just introduced to, to a bunch of characters. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, odd things start to creep into the storyline. Yeah. By then, you're already kind of learning a little bit about some of the characters. And so by the time the first weird thing happens, it's it's not that you're not expecting it. I mean, the movie is called Murder Mansion, for God's sake. Right. But it's interesting that, for me at least, I was perfectly happy the way the film was going. I was like, oh, yeah, all right. We're in the middle of a mystery of some sort here. That's mm-hmm. right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. Mm-hmm. Hold on. How, well, wait, wait a minute. How is this going to turn? Well, who is this person? Oh, I see. She mm-hmm. could be this. And mm-hmm. He could be that. Oh, this is way. Oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. And the, the joy of looking at the film, especially your first time through, mm-hmm. is, is this a murder mystery? Is this a ghost story? Yeah. Is this a vampire story? Because yeah. Yeah. vampires are specifically called out in the story. Mm-hmm. It's And I'm going to say this. If you've not seen this movie, we're going to strive hard to not ruin the mm-hmm. end of the film. Mm-hmm. Because there's a there's a joy to the, to the discovery of this and the way things click <coughs> into place. The way, mm-hmm. things, uh, uh, the way things kind of ingeniously click into place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as much as I would love to have the discussion, Troy and you and I will have to have the discussion off, off mm-hmm. mic, I think, so we don't ruin the film about some things that you really have to think hard about yeah, that yeah. don't quite work in retrospect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's uh, still such an incredibly well-pieced-together yeah. puzzle mm-hmm. that uh, the fact that you maybe got uh, the piece that's supposed to be grass up where the sky is is okay. Yeah. <laughs> it still kind of looks cool. Now, do we uh, 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 have we pre-listened to Dan's file? Yes, he did. He did. He learned his lesson. He's learned his lesson. He's not. He's been chastised. He's not spoiling. For, okay, all right. <laughs> Oh man, we get us some Dan out there. Yeah, Dan was so worried that you know he had uh, he had kind of spoiled the ending of Rojo Sangre last time around. But uh, we, I explained to him, you know, it's it's, it's no big deal. No, I mean, this no, is, no Rojo not. Sangre is probably the most accessible film we'd done yeah, at that yeah. point in like yeah. months. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not that concerned about it. But uh, well, yeah. So what, here's here, here's one thing before we get off mm. into a discussion of the the particulars of the story. And this is just something that uh, has occurred to me is that I think for uh, the past couple of years uh, amongst movie podcasters, the, the thought process has been that in a lot, of, a lot of ways, podcasting has kind of become the new fanzine. Mm-hmm. This is what, Good way to uh, put it, yeah. yeah, this is what people who in the past would have marshaled their, their, their energies to craft, you know, some kind of, uh, some kind of fanzine of some sort mm-hmm. feature, you know, featuring, you know, you know, movie and, Music reviews is basically you know the stuff that we like. Yeah, this is what yeah. they would do. But nowadays, a lot of people instead of doing that are producing podcasts, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's kind of neat. But I'm always, I don't know. I'm I, I sometimes, in my view, mm-hmm. the glass is half empty, and sometimes yeah. it's half full, and sometimes it's got something swimming in it. And I'm a little worried. <laughs> and so part of me wonders, you know, our our podcasts are, are is what we're doing. You know the the fanzines of the 21st century. Mm. 
Or are they uh, digital graffiti written on the the, the internet's bathroom wall? <laughs> I, mean, I, I really do kind of wonder about the permanence of uh, these things. Not so much because I wanted to live on forever, mm. but I just I don't see. Uh, and maybe it's just because my mind doesn't move in these ways and doesn't think in these terms. But I just I, I have a hard time imagining someone finding a box of uh, of old podcasts and oh, cracking it open like and going, podcasts. "Whoa, yeah. what the hell is this?" You know. <laughs> So um, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious. Uh, something I want to throw out to to the uh, to the audience, just as a, a question to chew on, is our podcast, our film podcast, like this and and 1951 Down Place and the, mm. the, the the you know the zillions of podcasts that are out there that focus on genre cinema and just cinema in general. Mm. Uh, Martian Driving are these shows modern fanzines? Is that are they the 21st century version of fanzines, or are they? You know, essentially scribbles on the bathroom wall that are going to eventually be cleaned off. Hmm. And I don't hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I feel about mm-hmm. which I would rather they were. Because mm-hmm. I've You're kind of their disposable cultures. Like, it's like I wonder. Of a, I wonder. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I really do wonder. Yeah. So I mean, because years ago, and I and I I used it as I I created I I crafted it into an episode of the Bloody Pit. I did that um, commentary track for um, the Giant Behemoth. And that is something that I think that I remember when you did that, yeah. can you know that can travel with it, mm-hmm. that can kind of stay, stand the test of time because I gathered uh, a lot you know interviews and and uh, as much you know as much mm-hmm. information about the movies I could and kind of crammed it in there and talked about the movie as well as my own impressions and I'm really happy with that. But I wonder, I mean, that's something that I could see somebody listening to maybe once or twice you know once or twice or even three times if they're really interested in the movie. But I do wonder about the permanence of, of what we're doing these days. Well, um, you know, I will say that in the coming zombie apocalypse, you know, when all <laughs> electricity is gone, you know, then basically we're fucked. You know, people who do podcasts sure, and sure. people, but people still be able to uncover an old box of Psychotronic magazine or something. And so in that respect, yeah. paper has the more longevity. Now, here's something that you talk about this, you know, in eccentric cinema, you know, has just gone, you know, uh, our friend Brian took down eccentric cinema, you know, that's, I don't know if you knew that, but you yeah, know, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm well aware. And, you know, I wrote a handful of reviews, you know, for you wrote over a hundred, you know, yeah. reviews. And right now, currently those aren't out there anymore. You now. And so there's that little bit of kind of a, of, of a, of a sort Loss. of a reminder of, you know, of the, of, of, of that's the impermanence of the digital realm right there, you know, that kind of I thing agree. can happen, you know, and, and that doesn't mean that at some point he, he, I know he's talked about possibly maybe, just repost them again as blog as a blog or an ongoing blog or something. But you know, it's it's I mean, we still have it written on on paper that could always be, you know, put out there again in some respect, you know, so it's not like it's just been totally obliterated. But, you know, it's 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 it, it did make me think about that that is the kind of impermanence of this sort of Yeah. Everything is going streaming, digital publishing is a lot more respectable and a lot more uh, accepted now, you know. Uh but uh but 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 that's true that that, that when it comes to, you know, paper has that that potential, you know, to, yeah. still, to to still be having maybe seem a little more real, you know, when it's. I know, and I, like I say, I wonder if it's just because, to to us being older than the, the mm-hmm. than say, the generation currently around, mm-hmm. if you know they're not going to find a box of discs and go, oh wait, these are mm-hmm. old, the you old know, podcasts. old old discs, and they can just you know they throw them in a computer just to read what they are, and this is how they'll discover. Oh wow, look at these old podcasts about these weird movies. Mm-hmm. And that's how they would be found in that way. I just like I say, just for us, 
It's yeah. to me, it's all it's the idea of you know a box full of magazines or a box full of books or a box mm. full of videotapes or DVDs or something like that. And there's something about podcasting in the same way as the as blogging, and you know? also there's that technically anyone can do it. That doesn't mean that it's not work for the people who do it. I mean, we know that we put work into the show, and, yeah. and we we it takes it, you know. But the sense that it took, I think, even that much more effort to actually put out a stapled and bound. I mean, that, the putting out a magazine is just yes. hellaciously hard work, and that eliminates an awful lot of people who don't have the real drive and the just passion. Oh yeah, they don't have the gumption to, to go do through that, yeah. and so much more than you know, so much more than than, than podcasts. I well, think you know, I've, so. I've been uh, that you bring that up is uh, like I have the the most recent issue of uh, Exploitation Retrospect, mm-hmm. and this is a this is something that was a fanzine that came out uh, year you know years ago and then stopped mm-hmm. publication, and mm-hmm. in the past year or two. Uh, Dan Taylor has taken it upon himself to actually start republishing. He started oh, cool. doing the magazine, Excellent. doing yeah. the magazine again, mm-hmm. and uh, which is just a wonderful thing. It's it, it, and it makes me wonder uh, if that's the kind of thing that could possibly happen sometime in the future with podcasting. Because I've seen different podcasts fade away mm-hmm. and then come back, and then mm-hmm. fade away and come back. Yeah. And I wonder if that's uh, you know if that's something that uh, will become kind of the norm with podcasts because it is such a an intensive kind of thing, mm-hmm. especially for people who are producing them week in and week out, which is just an amazing amount of stick to that Yeah, yeah. I can barely imagine. Yeah. But... Um, I didn't mean to take us down tangent road yet again. So I tell you what, let's, <laughs> a very depressing one. Is. I know. Let's let's take a let's take a quick break and stop wondering whether mm. let's let's stop mm. the navel gazing. Okay. Yeah, let's stop the go. navel gazing. We'll go. take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll actually the discuss, fun will begin. We promise. We'll actually discuss murder match. And I promise. Are you tired of the same old pop culture podcast? Do you listen to those other podcasts and think to yourself, why don't they talk about the things I'm interested in? Hi, I'm Reverend Scott, and when I want to listen to a couple of guys with their appendages on the pulse of pop culture, penis, I listen to the Are You Serious podcast. Hear news about politics and religion where hosts Chris and Frank ask the tough questions. If you woke up with a cock in your mouth, would you take it or leave it? Yeah, exactly. How big is the cock? (laughs) You'll hear entertainment news about your favorite movies and TV shows, plus plain old wholesome discussion about the lives of Chris and Frank. So, I mean, now I am like tattooed. It's weird. It's like I've, I guess I should explain what I got. Yeah. It's three swastikas. Each one interconnected <laughs> to look like a smiley face. And on my left arm is cock and balls. And you notice I looked at my right Character arm. Character from I said an old that. Disney film. It's the prequel to Song of the South. Exactly. I have, it's um, called Song of the Cock and Balls. <laughs> it sounds like this. So when you think pop culture podcast, remember this. What's that thing between the dick and the asshole? The Are You Serious Podcast on iTunes or areyouseriouspodcast.com. I see from the map there are two roads to Milan. Well, yes, the new highway and the old road. Which is the better? The old one's much shorter, but... uh... But what? It's just that it means going through the valley, and at this time of year after sundown, there's often quite a bit of fog. Thanks. What do I owe you? 450, sir. It's your life, so I guess you can do what you like with it. I guess so. But if you had any dignity, you'd leave your wife.
Okay, Murder Mansion 1972. First, alternate titles. The I don't know about the print that you watched, but the print that I watched, uh, actually, uh, if you translate it into English, the title is The Mansion in the Fog, mm. Mm. which is uh, the quote-unquote original title okay. as listed on IMDb. But it's also known as, uh, besides Murder Mansion, also known as Maniac Mansion. And, of course, we discussed that yeah, in depth the, that, last Yeah, not to episode. be confused with the Joe Flaherty TV series, yeah. <laughs> uh, Exorcism Mansion and... Uh, <laughs> I love uh, Exorcism Mansion because, once again, an obvious case of yet another film that tried to make people think it was about Satan and the exorcist craze there. It's just exactly. amazing how well, much we run across this. It's like it's like the equivalent of all the Westerns that had to put dollar in the title somehow to yeah. make them think it was part of the Eastwood. Uh, uh, you know, I just watched one recently called $4 of Revenge, which was a really entertaining film. But, again, you know, just got to put dollars somewhere in that, <laughs> in that title there. <laughs> 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 it's like the game we used to play years ago with our buddy Jack was, you know, creating fake spaghetti western titles. And yeah. he's like, you know, Django Dollar. Django, yeah. <laughs> Django Dollar would have been like, or, or, or Dollar for Django. Or, you know, <laughs> but it's like a crossover between the man with no name and Django. This must be the greatest western of all time. You know? <laughs> Ram those two words in there, god damn it. Let's go. I was like, Sartana, Django, and Sabata. <laughs> Dollars for all or something. Dollars, like for, <laughs> Dollars for all. <laughs> yeah. Dollars for all, whores for no one. Uh, no, that's okay. Okay, no, no, let's not get sidetracked again. Yeah. Okay, this film starts, um, and like, and like I say, the the the, be- the beauty of this movie is how many different how many different kind of genre mm. ideas it, it, mm. it blends together and blends together well. Mm-hmm. Well, the movie starts, and what I love is that for the first what is it about ten minutes? Mm. It's almost dialogue free. Yeah, and it's just visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. And what it is, you're intro- we're introduced on a country road. To uh, first one guy in uh, a Mach One, mm-hmm. nice big yeah, yeah, American nice little, yeah, muscle car, yeah, yeah. who uh, who's like zipping along, headed to a town called Soren. Uh, roadside helpfully tells us about ninety kilometers away. I don't know why I made a note of that or why it's important because it's not. <laughs> I wrote it on mine too. So so at least at the time we we <laughs> we, we, like, we believe like this is significant. This is significant. Damn it. Um, <laughs> on the road, he meets up with and passes a guy on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of play, uh, well, I'm a bigger dick than you, and yeah, pass each other yeah, for a little while, yeah, kind, little of, kind of playing and, around on the, uh-huh. playing around on the road. They're they're doing this uh, on on some uh, what turns into kind of uh, hilly slash mountainous roads where you get some nice hairpin curves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Nothing overly dangerous for the two of them, but uh, they do eventually. Oh, they do. They pass a VW Bug yeah. that has a married couple in it. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, this film is very, very, very tight mm. in its scripting, and almost yeah. nothing is wasted. So mm. you've got four characters you've been introduced to: the two in the the, the couple in the VW Bug, the guy in the mm-hmm. car, the guy on the motorcycle, mm-hmm. and then we're introduced to this beautiful redheaded hitchhiker. Yeah, and you, which you see every day. You know, oh, just, that's, just, just uh, can't go down the road without oh, seeing a beautiful redheaded hitchhiker. Oh yeah, Interstate Twenty Four here is littered with them. I know like, that oh, that God. dead deer. <laughs> yeah. So what we have here <laughs> is uh, five characters in search of a plot. Yeah. So. Uh, the redhead is picked up by the guy in the Mach 1. And uh, the middle-aged couple in the VW Bug, uh, who we later find out are called, the tre- uh, their last name is the Tremonts. Mm-hmm. Tremonts, you know, tre- Tremonts, Tremonts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they look, uh, they're, they're, of course, haughtily unimpressed with these two yeah. rapscallions. <laughs> these two are the younger generation. The yes. Swing- the swingers, the, Those the love generation. Sw- yeah. the, the love generation. <laughs> the hip now generation. <laughs> Making hey hey in the moonlight. Yes, hey. <laughs> Making hey hey. 
Well, uh, <clears throat> once the uh, driver of the Mach 1 has picked up the terribly hot red-headed hitchhiker... He quickly shows his class. Yeah, he gets a little frisky. <laughs> Just immediately, like no <laughs> no hesitation. The hand goes immediately to the leg there. <laughs> I mean, it's, hey, it's a nice leg, yeah, it's but... Europe, it's Europe, so... Yeah. It, it, it is Europe, but uh, she's having none of it. Right, right. Well, uh, <clears throat> later on, the, the driver of the, the motorcycle, whose name we find out is Fred, by the way... Mm-hmm. Stops off, stops off at this uh, roadside re- uh, restaurant, goes in and uh, sees the, the beautiful redhead sitting in a table alone. And uh, he goes over, chats her up, and uh, she complains about the driver because, mm. well, she has reason to. And yeah. she says he's one of those guys who just seems to think that uh, because he's giving you a ride, you, mm. you've, got, you, you've got to be friendly with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they decide, you know, they decide to pair up. And she goes, I'll, you know, yeah, mm. I'll, I'll, I'll come with you on your motorcycle. Well, the... Uh, Ernst, who is the driver of the car, we learn, right, uh, does not does not take well does does not take kindly to this, but he didn't really have a say in the matter. At the same time, we are uh, introduced to where the middle aged couple in the VW Bug have gone. They uh, arrive at uh, a friend's kind of palatial home. This is a house named uh, owned by a woman named Elsa, and uh, mm-hmm. the. Uh, um, Oh no! I'm sorry. Is uh, the the driver of the Mach One isn't Ernst? Right. I think Ernst is actually. Yeah, uh, Ernst is Elsa's husband. I'm right, sorry. Right. I, I've got. Yeah. No, I can say I got confused on that that's, too. But you're right. That's my fault. Yeah. Um, the the driver of the Mach One is uh, oh Mr. Porter. Mr. Porter. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Porter. Who has a wonderful name? Franco, oh, the actor. The actor Franco Fantasia. What an awesome name. I know. Name. Well, Franco great... Fantasia plays uh, the guy driving the Mach One with the uh, mm-hmm. the grabby hands. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's amazing is that you look at his credits, and this guy was in everything from El Cid to yeah. Mountain of the Cannibal God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is just kind of stunning when you think about it. I mean, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. He uh, he apparently passed away uh, in 2002, mm-hmm. but had a long career. Was working, you know, right up until, you know, 2000, maybe even maybe even further along. But the number of films he was in is uh, is quite nice. I, well over 100, possibly mm-hmm. 140 or so but he's in the Women in Cell Block 7. Mm-hmm. Something called Sinbad and the Caliph of Baghdad. That sounds Which is fun. something I would watch, of Me course. Gate War in Milan. He was in Justine Desaad. Yeah. Seven oh, Bloodstained yeah. Orchids. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But he, he's one of those guys who... Uh, he kind of fades from my memory when I when I watched him. Yeah, because I didn't really, and I don't know that he's in any other uh, Nashy films. I mean, a lot of this cast is. I don't know for all the films he made. I'm not sure... If he turned up in any other uh, any Nashi, uh, Nashi no, no, films. no, 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 he was in no Nashi films that I'm aware of. He was in yeah. the Return of Sabata, yeah, which is which is kind of cool, and a Knife of Ice. I love uh, this one he was in that says "kill" four times, "kill, kill, kill, kill." <laughs> That's. Uh... <laughs> but you're right. As an actor, he does have a fantastic. Oh yeah, Frank Fantasia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I suspect was probably you a stage. Think might need might be possibly a pseudonym. But at any rate, the mm-hmm. uh, aforementioned. Uh, Mr. Fantasia plays Mr. Porter, Mr. Porter. and uh, he's the one with the grabby hands and the cool mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. But the middle-aged couple is shown up at uh, Elsa's pal- palatial estate, and uh, we learn from uh, some very mouthy yeah. uh, <laughs> people who uh, are obviously visiting in the house. Mm-hmm. A little bit uh, of exposition well, yeah. in the form of gossip here. Exactly, and it's, and it's very catty gossip yeah. about yeah. about uh, uh, about the Tremonts and Elsa and Elsa's husband, Ernst. Mm-hmm. Who uh, who was away in Soren? Who remember was ninety miles away early. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> For it's no very important. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it seems that uh, Elsa is uh, she she she's on a phone call with her husband Ernst, and 
Ernst is getting some uh, papers signed by a lawyer so that they can they can complete some kind of deal with the Tremonts. And uh, Ernst claims that the that he's having some kind of trouble. The lawyer uh, had to delay things, and he's late. And uh, we see that uh, Ernst, her husband, is in a restaurant. He's in actually in he's in a restaurant where uh, Fred and the beautiful redhead Laura, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have they have stopped and they are dining. They're eating a full, they're eating a meal there, so this is obviously a few hours after we last saw them. And we, in, in in the very next scene, we see Ernst, who was eyeing the redhead, and yeah. well, I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Uh, we see uh, him uh, f- finishing up a little business after he's told his wife that he you know he's he's gonna he's gonna have to be late. Da 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 da. Yeah, and I was under the impression that now is it is it that they're that they're wanting him to sign divorce papers? Is that what's going on here or not? No, it's not divorce papers. Different? It's, it's not it's, divorce it's papers. It's a business was, deal. Okay, okay. It's some kind of okay. business deal that's Oh, I know why I thought down. that because in this next conversation Ernst oh. has he mentions that he won't divorce like he doesn't right, want right, to right. divorce his wife because of her money, right, I right. think. Is that what and this basically? conversation he's having is with his mistress. Yes. Who uh, he's he's obviously uh, told a little fib about the lawyer mm. being late so that he can uh, spend yeah. the afternoon slash early evening with yeah. his mistress. Who is Ingrid Garbo? Yes, who, she is. Uh, and uh, I would want to. I would make up a lie to spend time with her as well. <laughs> she is one of the luscious quartet of ladies that was in Count Dracula's Great Love. Is yes, where we last indeed, saw her. she is. And uh, we should point out that uh, the fellow playing Ernst is Alberto Dalbus, yeah. who we have seen in a multitude of films. Yeah, he's terrific. We saw him uh, in uh, Hunchback of the Morgue. He was the uh, the uh, insane doctor who fed, <laughs> the, doctor. Pro- fed the primordial a lot in, uh, exactly. in Hunchback of the Morgue. He was also in Cutthroat's Night, yeah, yeah. of course. Did a little Franco work, too. He was in oh, he did the, a the erotic, erotic Rites of Frankenstein. He was in, Oh, yeah, Night of the Assassins yeah, for Franco yeah. and the Demons for Franco. Mm-hmm. Alberto Dalbus is one of those guys who, once you see him, you really don't ever forget right, him because yeah. he's got a uh, he, he projects very well mm-hmm. on screen, and he's also got a face that really doesn't look like anybody else's face. That's true. Yeah. So it's always it, it's it's always fun to see him turn up in these movies. Yeah. And it doesn't happen nearly enough. Sad to say, but yeah, yeah you're right. He's having this conversation with his mistress, uh, post coital, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's talking about yeah the, that he loves his wife, and his mistress claims yeah you really just love her money. And he says, "Well, hey, I've I've got money of my own." And she says, "No, you had money of your own until mm. you 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 spent it all on uh, what was she, mm. she said? She spent it spent it all on on drinking women." Yeah, I think. So. Yeah. And there's a part of me going, "So you're well, laying there you're, naked in yeah, the bed, and you're one of these women he spent the money on?" Right? But no, no, he thinks differently about her. You know, it's true love between the two of them. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, which is great. Uh, well, back in the restaurant, Fred, uh, uh, he's headed where he's headed is to. Uh, um, Mylan, mm-hmm. and um, he has he has a conversation. He's looking over his he's looking over his map before he and the redhead set off again because apparently that's where she's headed as well. Mm-hmm. And they, he consults with the guy there in the restaurant, and he, the guy t- is a local. Tells him, "Look, you know, it's about <coughs> it, it's starting to get dark, but they've decided to go ahead and press on, mm-hmm. and uh, because they figure they can go ahead and they can, if they can go on and make it, you know, not too late after dark and, and be there instead of trying to find some place to to get a room now, they can mm-hmm. just go on." The local tells uh, Fred that there are two roads. There's a long and a short one, but you might want to take a long one because the the short one it takes you through the valley mm-hmm. and it's at, it's after dark and uh, that road gets really foggy and so you might kind of lose your way. Well, as anyone can tell you in any kind any mm-hmm. kind of movie that might even remotely be a horror movie, yeah. if you are told there is a yeah. long way and yeah. a short, short way, yeah. do not take the short way. Right, right. Because the short way <laughs> leads not. to 
yeah. depending on your film, mm-hmm. zombies, yeah. cannibals, mad lunatics, mm-hmm. scientists with designs on your brain, <laughs> or aliens. <laughs> yeah. One of the others, and mm-hmm. that's just all there is to it. Yeah. If you're lucky, maybe you just get a, a Lovecraft-inspired monster that pops up out of the ground. <laughs> I don't know. That's but true, something but like this is happening. Yeah. If you take the short route... The subliminal message is do not take shortcuts in life, you know. Uh, <laughs> yes, slow and steady course. wins the race. Shortcuts, you know, inevitably lead to disaster. So It, it, it is a, a almost long-form way of getting across the idea of the tortoise and the hare. Yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but Fred, Fred and the redhead, Laura, decide, okay, what the hell. We will uh, we'll take the short road, we'll make it into Milan, and, and, and we'll be there and won't have to worry about it. Because, again, they are of the swinging generation, and so they are, of course, going to ignore these, the warnings, these signs. and, and you know. <laughs> They're obviously too young to have learned mm. the experiences of life that would keep them alive and, uh, you mm. know, uh, sane. Yeah. Perhaps sane. <laughs> uh, oh, I do love that, oh, uh, something else, the mistress and Ernst are talking, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the, uh, the mistress says, well, she's not much of a wife. She yeah. Elsa's not much of a wife to you. She she denies you your conjugal your conjugal, conjugal rights or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right? oh yeah, your conjugal rights. That's how she puts it. <laughs> it's, it's like, is this the what century are we living I mean, in? No, there? it's 1972. <laughs> and what's you again, say they a, don't have sex. No, and she's you know again, and she's the, she's his mistress. You know, well, she's, it, well, just, what 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 else would have been more appropriate in 1972 than the, than the word frigid, which it, was like yeah, the, know, the but, term yeah, exactly. You're right. Just the terminology know? that Jane, whether it's just an awkward translation or not, I thought that was funny too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you. Like, really? Why don't we just why are we okay, yeah. this is not the nineteen forties. Like are we are we yeah, it's like are we being polite in this scene and not like you know, not you know We're like, not under the Hayes Code restrictions here. <laughs> Say you don't fuck. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Well uh in in a in a in the in, in a scene right after this, Elsa appears to have gotten another phone call from Ernst. Mm. And then we're not shown this phone call. <clears throat> and so this is the one point in the in the film, in the first half of the film, or the first like hour of the film, really, where I was kind of like, oh, it looks like they kind of left a scene out there to kind of advance the story just a little bit. But it appears that Elsa's got another phone call from Ernst mm-hmm. and that uh, she's going to have to go and meet him because his car is broken down. Mm-hmm. So she's got information from Ernst that his car is broken down. So she's just going to go to where he is, get him, get the paperwork that's been signed by the lawyer, and come back. Mm-hmm. And they will the the the, the Tremonts and, and and them will conduct this business and it'll be over with. Well, the Tremonts, the husband anyway, says, "Well, hold on just a second. If if you're going all the way out there and coming back, we could just go with you, sign the paperwork. You know mm-hmm. where where we meet your husband and then." We won't have to come back out here. We can go on and, and uh, you know, we can go on back home and, and cut down on our travel time. Why don't we just do that? You take your car, we'll take ours, we'll follow you. Everybody agrees to this, and so that's what they mm-hmm. set off to do. Now, Fred and Laura on the motorcycle are, of course, on the short road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, dark has fallen, mm-hmm. and boy, are we in fog. <laughs> yes. The yes, fog they- has crept in along with the night. Now, let us describe, and I may have talked about this in previous podcasts, but let me refresh everyone's memory if it is dim, and it probably is. Years ago, <clears throat> Troy and I and a large group of our friends uh, used to watch a lot of movies together. And uh, being the kind of people that we are, a lot of them were horror films, as you might expect. And one of the great joys was that Troy loves 
movies with fog in them. Yeah, it's just you know, it's it's, a, it's an indi- it's an indicator. Yeah. For, 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 I, if, yeah. if I if I speak mm. untrue, no, 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 you no, speak no. up. But uh, the the he had had a theory for years, mm. kind of a tongue in cheek theory, but yeah. it's fun to play with. Which is that you can tell the quality of a horror film <laughs> by the height of the fog. <laughs> That's in right. The, film. the higher the better. The, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, like, it's like if it's if it's ankle level. Yeah, and the film, the film, the film could still suck. I mean, yeah, let's, let's be yeah, honest. I mean, yeah. it's just ankle level fog. What, what kind of damage you get? If it creeps up to knee level, it's like, all right, you're getting serious. You're getting into some real fog now. Mm-hmm. And we developed this scale, which is like <laughs> ankle level on, on the Gwenometer. Yeah, the Gwenometer. That's right. The fog, fog the meter. The fog meter, which is the, the Gwenometer, which is, you know, a one or a two is, you know, below yeah. the knee. Mm-hmm. Three or four is mm-hmm. knee, maybe a little higher, maybe thigh level. Mm-hmm. And then just on up until you get to a 10, which is you're completely enveloped in, yeah. <laughs> in, in fog and you can't see shit. Yeah. Now, there have been the occasional movie that have gone off the 10, that have topped the 10 on the guanometer. Yeah, well, I'd like to think that my theory inspired John Carpenter to, to you know, to, to take it, see, why, see how far he could push that level to envelop an entire town. Well, just speaking, speaking of another Spanish film or a film made by another Spanish director, mm. The uh, 2001 film The Others uh, had sequences that were right yeah. off the Gwenometer scale. Yeah, how funny you bring that movie up. I was going to bring that movie up, and not actually in relation to what you're talking about. Oh, really? But I was going to bring that movie up during this podcast because I have to wonder if, as you mentioned, it was made by a Spanish director. I have to wonder if this film was an inspiration for him uh, in some way, or at least was something that he may oh. have loved or viewed it because some of the ways certain some of these fil- scenes, including one that's coming up here pretty soon, was filmed really immediately reminded me of the others. You know, really the first kind of really creepy scene that we get in the film, yeah. which is coming up here shortly. I'll point it out when we get up to it. But anyway, but yes, it was actually I was gonna because it made me think of the others, and I thought I wonder if he saw this view this film if it was just had a little bit of an influence in how he chose to film some scenes in the others. Uh, Wouldn't be impossible. Mm-hmm. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had not really thought about that. I just I was just bringing up the others as one of those films that really kind of you know well, there's right. a ten and then there's yeah. things like the others yeah, where it, it kind of it becomes it, just, it yeah. goes completely out of control. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's, well, yeah. Well, this film definitely. Uh, yeah, this film here, uh, Murder Mansion, is is I was only the the in the Gwenometer is probably uh, is is way past mid level and all. Oh yeah, it, past, it gets into the, the, it gets into the seven yeah. or eight. You know, it gets mm. into the seven or eight yeah. level with the with the fog. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. you know it's definitely an indicator when the fog is at that level on the Gwenometer. <laughs> That you're in a quality film. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as Fred and Laura are driving out there, and they're uh, they're noticing the fog. There's uh, they come to a point where they realize, okay, we we may be a little bit lost. They stop and are, they're stopped beside the road. They see a car coming, and they try to and uh, Fred tries to flag it down, but it nearly runs them off the road. Yeah. It just keeps going, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a roll it's a Rolls Royce. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's he's damn near run down by this car, mm-hmm. and it just keeps going. So they're kind of taken aback and just have to continue on their way. The Tremonts um, are following Elsa, each in their own car. We see Elsa going along, and you know, obviously she's got the windshield wipers on. Mm-hmm. It's raining just a little bit, and uh, the fog is making it difficult to. Uh, they are obviously also taking the short road to where they're supposed to be going. Uh, but from what we know, one of the reasons why Soren, the, no, the knowledge of where they're coming from, where they're yeah. going to, is that these these groups are coming toward each other from different directions, and yeah. so it makes sense to what ha- that what happens happens. So it's nice to have the movie already at this stage, kind of already yeah. 
trying to be very realistic or, or very mm-hmm. specific in its mm-hmm. details about what is happening. Mm-hmm. Well, the Tremont, Tremonts are going along and they've, they've lost sight of Elsa and the, the husband is getting actually a little bit frustrated with the fact the Tremonts have an actual wreck in the fog. They almost hit, or they no, no, they actually do hit uh, Mr. Porter's car. Right. So he's coming from the other direction and they mm-hmm. actually have a wreck. They actually hit each other. And uh, as, soon as, as soon as they strike each other, and we, can, and we as the audience can tell that it's the VW Bug and the Mach 1 that have struck one another, we cut to Elsa nearby, who uh, can't see very well and actually nearly hits a ruined kind of yeah. stone, a ruined stone wall. Yeah. It's like um, she kind of just runs out of road, basically. It's like yeah. she somehow came off, went off the road, off the beaten path, as they say. Yeah. And, and it's this ruined run wall, and she, she gets out and is looking around trying to figure out where she is and how she got here. And uh, she sees that this ruined wall surrounds an old cemetery. Mm-hmm. Old yeah. cemetery in uh, the fog. What more do you want? Mm-hmm. Well, she's uh, she's she's stumbling around trying to figure out where the hell she is and how she got to where she to to this place. And she sees a ghostly pair of figures in the fog. Mm-hmm. It looks to be a man in a chauffeur's uniform, complete with cap. And a woman. Mm-hmm. Huh. And this was the scene, just from the way they're moving and the way the cameras, you know, just the the pacing. Oh, they're, scene they're backlit. Is what really out. is what really just just made me think of the others when I saw that. Really? Okay, mm-hmm. I can I can definitely see that. You're right. Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah. Well, anyway, and it's a very creepy scene. I mean, it's a very. Oh, it really is. And this is the this is a scene where too, where you suddenly think like maybe this is going to be a supernatural film. Right. Right. Well, we see Fred and Laura. <laughs> this is oh. This this is the second little thing that kind of yes, makes you think. Yeah. What in the hell what are we into? Going, I know, exactly. They're they're creeping along on the motorcycle, trying to be mm-hmm. careful, going as slow as they can. Uh-huh. And now they don't see someone walking up ahead, and it's a guy w- w- with a hood uh-huh. carrying a scythe over yeah. his arm <laughs> or over yeah. his shoulder. Pardon me. It kind of reminded me of an early scene in The Devil's Nightmare. That's yeah, similar yeah. where they you know where they, they approach the guy and the, and the the really creepy guy and the show with the scythe. It made me think of that. But uh, well, luckily this guy with the scythe really seems to be quite seems, nice. Yeah, he gives yeah. him directions and mm-hmm. is is really quite friendly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he doesn't appear, were, he doesn't and, appear, he doesn't appear to be death personified. Thank kudos God. Kudos to them for being brave enough to stop and ask. I would never stop and ask a man carrying a scythe in, in the fall. No matter how lost I was, I would just keep going. Lord, 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 yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, no matter how careful they were being, Fred and Laura, they wreck themselves very near the cemetery, mm-hmm. and they run into Elsa. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where I get to point out one of my favorite things about this movie, which is that I'll just be flat honest uh-huh. with you and tell you that Fred is my hero. Oh, Fred's awesome. And let's talk about who plays Fred, because oh, he's a yes. great guy. Dude. He's, he's a, he's a we, beloved, fade, Nashy regular, too. We have not talked about uh, Fred. He's played by the wonderful... Andreas Rezano, mm-hmm. and uh, we have uh, you have seen him, Troy McClure, in such <laughs> in such films as The Werewolf versus the Vampire Women. That would be, of course, the Werewolf mm-hmm. Shadow. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I loved him in a, uh, um, the Cantabrians uh, because he played oh, yes. uh, Caesar Augustus in, and did a great job in that. Uh, I believe he was in was it uh, Seven Murders for Scotland Yard? He was in Seven was Murders there. for Scotland Yard, and we won't run what his uh, what his uh, no no. Uh, role specific role in Seven Murders for Scotland Yard is, but he was also in a couple of Franco films, Lovers, uh, of, Lovers of Devil's Island, Island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, he is all—he's always a joy to see. And I'll be honest, he had a long career, but he has—he had a career that I wish had been much longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he passed away in 2011, mm-hmm. but he is 
I always enjoyed him. Mm-hmm. Every time I've every film I've ever seen him in, I thought he was quite good. Yeah, this is actually my favorite of his roles oh, yeah. in this film. Yeah, he's yeah, I really like him a lot in this too. Uh, I mean, in, in, you know, in a couple of you know, he played he, he played uh, he played a good cop in Werewolf Shadow, mm-hmm. and he played a good upper crust aristocrat in Seven Murders for Scotland Yard. Mm-hmm. But in this, he really does play to a large degree the hero of the picture, even mm-hmm. though that is not evident at all mm-hmm. the first half of the movie. Right. It's just that as as things happen, mm-hmm. he's the guy keeping his eyes open and trying to figure out what the hell is going on. What is the mm-hmm. truth and what mm-hmm. is happening here? Mm-hmm. And he is he shows himself over and over again to be somebody who's thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may be about to point out the line here in this first scene here is like that I really liked it, that he says um when they meet, well, they like I said they run into Elsa, run into Elsa who has yeah. been running from whatever these spectral creatures or something. Yeah. These this couple, this weird couple that's been stalking her in the graveyard, she runs into him and and she's all panicked and kind of tells Laura and uh, and Fred her situation, and he points out that you know, she said she's come from the cemetery, and he points out to basically say he says he says well there he says then he says well then we're in luck he said because the dead are always buried near the living. Right, he says, all, all we have to do is follow yeah. this wall around until we find the gate. And, and it may seem like a little thing, but I was just like, you know, it's always nice to hear characters in a horror slash mystery, you know, be intelligent, say something intelligent, yeah. because it doesn't happen every movie you watch, and it's yeah. sometimes you just kind of notice when they're like, oh yeah, that that's actually makes sense, you know, but I just kind of like, like yeah, that. If we're, if, we're, yeah. if we're near a, ser- a cemetery, yeah. Yeah. well, they don't build cemeteries 100 miles uh, yeah, away exactly. from a town. Yeah, so we're not as lost as we think. We're near civilization. I was thinking Well, like, and he even takes it even further. He says, yeah. so, so everybody, just, yeah. you know, just be calm because Elsa's a little frantic. Yeah. He says, just be calm. We'll follow this wall around until we mm. find the gate. And he says, and once we're at the gate, I guarantee you, that's the direction, mm-hmm. away, straight away from the gate is where yeah. the village, the nearby village will be. That's just mm-hmm. the way these things are built. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they all, they, all, they all look at each other and go, well, yeah, okay, you're right. Mm-hmm. And so they start following the wall, looking for the gate. Mm-hmm. But instead of a gate, what do they find? They find no gate. They find mm-hmm. the Rolls Royce. Yes. That passed them by mm-hmm. and nearly ran them off the road. Mm-hmm. And this Rolls Royce has crashed into the cemetery wall. Mm-hmm. And... It's covered in dust and leaves. Yeah, it looks very like it's been sitting there for years and years. Looks like it's been sitting there for a very long time, but it has the same tag, the same license license. license. plate. Mm -hmm. That's odd, isn't it? Yep. That's very strange. Yes. But then they spot the house in the fog. Mm -hmm. Now, I love this. The movie, this is one of those Which, as you said, was the original title of the film. (laughs) (laughs) The House in the Fog. Yeah. Well, this is the this is one of those neat things, and I really like this when a movie is clever enough to do this well. Which is, they decide, okay, to heck with it. They go up to the house, knock on the door, and it's Mister Porter who opens the door. Yeah, I know who's who's been kind of the nemesis of this couple, or at least that they've already established as being somewhat of an asshole. And his, his encounters with them so far have not been right. with Laura and Fred have not been friendly to say the least. Well, they he opens the door, they go in, and. Uh, Mr. Porter and the Tremonts are already in the house, in the living yes. room, have built a fire. Yeah. And so we didn't have to see all this stuff in between. We didn't have to waste the time with, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a way of like being, like you said, nice and clean and just keeping the pace going. Right, now, right, right. Know. So with just a couple of lines of dialogue, we find yeah. out what, what is obvious here, which is, you know, after they, they, they both wrecked, they wrecked their cars. They, yeah. they spotted the house. They went into mm-hmm. the house. They didn't find anybody. They started a fire. Boom. What the mm-hmm. hell's going on? Oh, and I want to say here too, just point out because I'll forget it if we don't, we may not forget to mention it, but Mrs. Tremont is actually somebody we've seen. Oh, yeah, that's right. She was in Werewolf Shadow. She actually. uh, 
uh, Yelena Samaria. Yeah, she. Oh, I'm sorry. Samarina, maybe. Samarina. Yeah, um, but she was in Werewolf Shadow, and this is a, it's interesting to see this very different role where she's playing kind of a, a little bit of a. Uh, well, she was a Russian actress, which is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. But she was in. Uh, oh darn it! What else have we seen her? Well, she was well. She was in uh, Werewolf Shadow, of course. Yeah. She played. She played um, uh, his. It was his. his Valdemar Donitsky's sister, who of course right. was very strange and neurotic and kind of you know the the the. Uh, I guess uh, I guess yeah a mentally disturbed character you know so sure. this is a very different role for her because she's very much more of like an aristocrat you know in this in this film you know I mean or not aristocrat but upper society kind of reserved kind of character you know but it's but, uh, very different from what we saw her in uh, well she was in uh, uh, the daughter of Dracula the with the with the Jess Franco film along with Alberto Dalbus mm-hmm. um, Night of the Assassin she was in yep yep Exorcism's daughter, which probably has nothing to do with, with exorcism. <laughs> Exorcism's daughter. No, I, I doubt it has anything to do with anything yeah. like that. She was in House of a Thousand Dolls several years before this. Oh no, well, Night of Assassins, by the way, is actually one of my one of my favorite Franco films. Um, and I don't know if I'm trying to think if I've seen that. Would, would there be any other alternative titles that I know that by? Well, I don't know that I've seen that. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, it was released over here on uh, DVD as uh, Night. Was it Night of the Skull? Hmm. I don't. And I've got think... the DVD around here somewhere, and it's yeah. it's quite a good little film. Yeah, I don't believe I've seen it. That also one. stars Alberto Dalbis, uh, uh, William, William Berger, Berger cool, oh, Lena. Uh, and of course Lena Romay. Antonio Myers. If you've not seen Louis Bar- uh, Louis Barbo and two, and uh, yeah, so, yeah, cool. Evelyn, no, Eve- like Evelyn Scott too. Yeah. But if you've not seen Night of the Assassins, aka Night of the Skulls, uh, that's that's a good that's a really good Jess Franco film. It's actually one of my favorites from this period because it it's a really nice. Kind of a horror murder mystery set around a, a Louisiana house, oh, cool. uh, and it's it's yeah, uh, check that one out. it's it's a good flick. I really really like the movie a lot. But yeah, yeah, she plays Miss Tremont. That's mm-hmm. uh, Yelena Samarina, mm-hmm. the uh, the Russian actress. We should also mention that the guy who plays Mister Tremont we have seen before as well, right? Eduardo Fajardo, Eduardo, yeah, Fajardo. Fajardo, yeah, I believe is how you pronounce it. He's a Spanish actor, and. Uh, uh, besides being the bad guy in Django, <laughs> as, we, yeah, uh-huh. as we mentioned earlier, right. and turning up in uh, you know l- little roles here and there like in the Four Musketeers, got 192 credits to his name. Yes, he did more than a few films. I mean, he he was in Knife of Ice the same year as this. Uh, oh, he was he was uh, actually he was he had a major role in Compañeros too, one of my favorite spaghetti westerns. Okay. Oh, uh, let's see, well, he was in Lisa and the Devil. Oh, he was in Lisa and the Devil. He was in both Lisa and the Devil and. Uh, the uh, the bastardized version mm-hmm. of it that mm-hmm. uh, called called House of Exorcism. Mm-hmm. Cross of the oh, Devil. Oh, oh, and let's mm-hmm. not forget he was of course mm-hmm. in Cross of the Devil. He yeah. played Enrique in Cross mm-hmm. of the Devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is an actor we've seen in, in uh, mm-hmm. well, we've seen specifically in Cross of the Devil, but I have also seen him in quite a few other movies as well. Yeah. But uh, so for you know you can see how somebody who is already a Euro a Euro horror fan yeah. for f- uh, films of this period. This kind of like this would be kind of like even if you didn't know the names, this would oh, in like, a lot of ways kind of be similar to the oh hey I know that person mm-hmm. or where do I know that person from or mm-hmm. something like that yeah. and so there's that added level of enjoyment yeah like, you're it's almost like an ensemble cast of European yeah. you know it's kind of like watching some of the Toho films from their golden period there you know where it was just every film had like eight or nine or ten faces that you recognize and sometimes in very small roles but you'd just be like yeah. you know these same faces turn up and you know and so it's always a good time. Well, the uh, hold on, I forgot where 
Yeah, so they we, well they come in and discovered the that that uh, that uh, Mr. Porter and the Tremonts. Oh, that's right. Yeah, have yeah. already already there at the house. They've already found. They've already they've they've collided with each other and also had to make their way to this to this house. Well, this is when we're introduced to the final character mm-hmm. that we should probably talk about here, which mm-hmm. would be the owner of the house, mm-hmm. Mrs. Clinton, mm-hmm. and uh, she comes downstairs from upstairs and uh, explains uh, well explains why she doesn't normally live in this house that she owns it. She offers the hospitality of the place, considering that everybody's kind of stuck here in this mm-hmm. deep fog, and she's well aware of what the fog is like in this valley. Mm-hmm. It explains that uh, this house, which is near the cemetery, is on the outskirts of an abandoned village. Mm-hmm. It's about fifteen miles from uh, fifteen. Uh, I'm sorry, fifteen kilometers away from Milan. Miss mm-hmm. uh, Clinton explains that she lives in Milan, and she comes here to repair this house uh, that she inherited from her aunt. Um, when she gets the chance, uh, mm-hmm. she explains that, uh, the village, now this is where they, they start getting comfortable and get, and start get, and start talking a good bit mm-hmm. with her. Mm-hmm. She explains that the nearby <clears throat> village was abandoned because of a plague, something that was affecting people, uh, their blood, making them anemic mm-hmm. and, uh, says flat out right that the people generally thought it was vampires. And now we have to start wondering, okay, are we in a vampire movie? You know, that makes us start to wonder about that. So it's, yeah, it's very cool. Well, it's also one of those things that I really like a lot, which is, uh, well, we've seen something that might be zombies or ghosts. Yeah. Probably zombie ghosts. No, 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 no. <laughs> God, that would be bad if the, if the ghost of the dead started coming. How would that work? Come back from the... They wouldn't be coming back from the dead because they would still technically be dead. They'd just be hungry, I guess. I don't know. I just don't... You know. They'd be the hungry dead. <laughs> which is a whole other thing. Yeah. But, uh, uh, which, which is, which is really quite neat. But she does, uh, she does, uh, have one weird little quirk, which is there's this door yeah. right off the, uh, the, the main room there on the ground floor with the fireplace and everything that, uh, they hear, they hear some noise behind it. And she goes out of her way to explain that she doesn't want anybody to go down there. That she's kept the that that leads down to the basement. She's kept that sealed up because uh, the last time she was down there, there were rats and uh, they just terrify her. So just mm-hmm. please, you know, please don't go down there. Don't touch the door. Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Which seems kind of odd until she plays the scene out, and you're like, okay, well, she seems a little neurotic, so yeah. maybe she's yeah. not insane. I guess, <laughs> but. At this point, we have also noticed one thing, and it's Fred who's kind of looked from Mrs. Mm-hmm. Clinton mm-hmm. and looked up on the wall at the painting yeah. of this woman's aunt, who apparently mm-hmm. owned this house before her, and noticed that one looks a whole lot like the other. Mm-hmm. Only Mrs. Clinton is younger, prettier, right. Right. and the painting is of an older lady, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. interesting. There's a lot of resemblance to you and your aunt, isn't mm-hmm. there? Oh, and I and and I love the way the sound, the way they build that whole scene, with the sound coming from that door, is actually very realistically yeah. nicely done because we start to notice it before anybody else does. Like because we start to well almost start to think it was an audio, a flaw in the audio of the uh-huh. you know because I'm like noticing you know when she's talking, and you yeah. start to hear this noise, and then gradually though you start to see the other people in the room become aware of it. Like what the fuck is that? You know, and now and you realize it's actually, but it's it's I, I, I like the way that they did that. You know, it was very realistic and. And, and it's just it's just another example nice of touch, yeah. how well done this film is yeah. in ways that it doesn't really need to be. Exactly, yeah, the that's a little thing. Been, yeah, yeah, the you could have just started having been. the noise and everybody could immediately react right. to what was that? But instead, the way it lets it build under what she's saying that you at first think you're hearing things, you know, uh-huh. which is neat. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it it's the film could be 
could still be a good movie and be sloppier than it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. But the fact that there are these little bits of attention to detail, and it's mm-hmm. very careful. And it, if you notice, the vast majority of this cast is speaking their lines in English. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, yeah, yeah, I can't true. remember any of them who who isn't speaking. Mm-hmm. They're, so the dubbing fits brilliantly with what is being mouthed on screen by the actors. Of course, we know a film of this period, you know, it was shot wild. It was shot without sound. And everything was dubbed in later. But it's clear that they meant for this movie to be watched in English primarily. That's mm-hmm. how it was filmed. And that adds to it as well because you don't get that that weird um, you know, watching a foreign film that's dubbed feel from this. You're just pulled into it. So you're right. Mm-hmm. Little subtle things like the, the, the really effective use of music throughout the movie, yeah. which I think is nice, mm-hmm. and the use of sound effects, which, and that's one of the better examples right there, is really cool, but there are other little things as well. the the mm-hmm. kind of uh, the kind of ambient sound that you get when you're out in the fog out in the, out in the cemetery, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, which you know, it's just this little undercurrent of a noise that you kind of hear. You don't really pay attention to unless you start to think, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. this isn't totally silent." I mean, what am I hearing? Yeah. And uh, it's it's very it's very effective stuff, and it's just another example of the the attention to detail kind of I want to say lavished onto this. But it's it's odd that it, I mean it is a little low budget horror yeah. movie from mm-hmm. 1972, mm-hmm. but they really crafted it well. I mean, yeah, it's they a did. Well they really did. Movie, yeah, so. I agree. I agree. Okay, so are we talking ghosts? Well, are we talking well, vampires? He's well, he's, yeah, and then he talks well, and then we get maybe another layer to it when they ask her about the right the portrait. Are we, talking, starts, are we talking reincarnation? Well, yeah, because well, and then she starts to talk about the the woman is Julia Clinton is the name of the woman in the portrait, right? Uh, and that was her aunt. Uh, and uh, oh, and then we talk about we find out how she died. Yes, the well, first she says she's a strange woman. Uh, she describes her as possibly there was thought to be a witch, you know? Right? Yeah, yeah. So we're right. like, okay, now we're in a witch movie, and now, we're, now like, we're talking possible sorcery. Yeah, um, and apparently she had a chauffeur. It was very tall, disfigured. A disfigured man, man yeah. who was her chauffeur, and uh, one day the driver was driving Miss Clinton, uh, and uh, was, crashed, was apparently inebriated from. Was he was was drinking and crashed his Rolls Royce into the cemetery while still drunk, killing himself and Miss Clinton. So now you can imagine how Elsa is responding to this while this story is being told. Uh, she does not take it well, considering the experience she just had in the in the cemetery uh, yep. a while ago. Because she did, this, you this, didn't take much to connect yeah, the dots there. Yeah, that description perfectly matches yeah. the two spectral figures in the fog that she saw earlier. Yeah, she basically has a little breakdown here. Yes, yes, she freaks out quite a bit right here. Uh, Mr. Tremont, and, and after they oh. kind of quiet her down, yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah, we get a little cool. more exposition. Yeah, we get a little bit more exposition from uh, Mr. Tremont, who explains to Fred and Laura that uh, she she's had kind of bad nerves ever since her father passed away, uh, leaving leaving the bu- leaving the family business to her. Uh, he passed away uh, while in bed yeah. while yeah. while in bed <laughs> with one of his daughter's classmates. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there. Yeah, and we've already heard that she's not exactly forthcoming with uh, the conjugal rights to her husband. <laughs> to her there, husband, so yeah. uh, we kind of get the impression that, uh, like I say, why was the word frigid? Yeah, not, not, not uttered in a yeah. film from this period of time. <laughs> I don't understand it. It was the word. I mean, that flung. No, I know. Oh, that, I know movie, I that, that, that word was flung around throughout the sixties and seventies. Yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing it for God's sake in you know, like soap operas. Yeah, I know. 
Although now I've admitted to, to watching soap operas. Oh, so uh-oh, let uh-oh. let us let us carefully draw a veil You'll across. Probably, yeah, you're going to edit that out of the room. <laughs> we will draw a veil recording. across that right. and never speak of it again. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey, I will admit to watching on my summers off from school, General Hospital, because it was the first. Besides Dark Shadows, obviously, the first soap opera that began to go just bug fuck, you know, with the uh, crazy, like, science fiction storylines and, you know, kind of like it was the first daytime soap opera that actually started to do, you know, have espionage and spy stories and stuff that it really just, I remember there's one story where the, some guy, some villain was going to freeze the whole city in ice or just, it was just like, <laughs> yeah, so actually <laughs> on my summer's off from school, I was just like, okay, I, so I actually started watching that show again, you know, because it was sort of the first to, to begin to, <laughs> you know, and eventually all the soaps started doing all these things, you know, with, you know, yeah. you know ghost stories, which was, it was kind of like they all became Dark Shadows finally, a decade after Dark Shadows, you know, it was kind of strange. <laughs> wow! Sorry, yeah, yeah, okay. Now we both out. Okay, that, yeah. Now, well, not only that, I mean, <laughs> we can no longer draw a veil across this. But, but <laughs> what, what's wild is that, that that this is yet another bizarre tangent that we've gone on that I had no anticipation of. Yeah. Like, how the hell did that? I mean, there's sometimes, and I'll think I, we might want to talk a little bit about this, and I'll make a note off yeah. to the side, off yeah. of the spot, off the page on yeah. my notes. Like, oh, you know, over here, I might want to talk about this. But holy hell, Highlander and now freaking soap opera. Where did we come in on this week? Oh, jeez. Okay. Well, anyone, uh, anyone at this point with this much information about the plot line of the story mm-hmm. realizes that as these people who uh, are all, you know, uh, let's just say a disparate group of folks who are mm-hmm. trapped here at this house mm-hmm. because of the intense fog around them, mm-hmm. um, they're going to have to spend the night. Mm-hmm. Not too much. You know, there's not a whole lot of room in the place, but. Right. They'll find, you know, we'll, we'll bed down here. Fred and uh, Laura decide to take the couch and the floor there mm-hmm. in the, the main living room. Mm-hmm. The Tremonts get a bedroom. Uh, Miss Clinton is apparently going to go off to, to her own bedroom, which mm-hmm. she stays in when she's out repairing the house. Yes. And uh, Elsa, they, they put down to kind of calm her down. They put her in a bedroom off to her side. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Porter is off in his own, his own little room. <laughs> But he's not going to stay there because he is determined to get laid somehow <laughs> or, or another. He is going to well, get drunk and is determined. Here's, here's but he is a little thing. bit of. A, I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Say, go, he, go he becomes it. a little more sympathetic. He does. As the movie he's like goes he's maybe on. not just that he's. Because I, mean, you actually get the sense I don't think he's. Really, a, I don't think he's really a lech. He, I think yeah. that he probably definitely probably he, he he's probably just say more no. socially awkward than anything, or just just well, doesn't. Not only just that, you get the sense from the sequences where he's alone in that bedroom. That honestly, he's a little he's a little scared. Yeah, uh, yeah. he's a little he's a little put out mm-hmm. and a little creeped out by the place, mm-hmm. but isn't willing to say this out loud. But when he's alone and we can see him, you know, mm-hmm. his reactions and how nervous he is around this room, mm-hmm. it wasn't so much of uh, it wasn't when he starts going around to the other rooms and trying to trying yeah, to to share he's... his flask of booze mm-hmm. with people and just yeah. get get them talking. I didn't get the sense of a guy who's kind of you know out out on the prowl. I got a sense of a guy who really just kind of wanted to ask somebody to talk some to company. Him. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. No, actually, I, I I can I I do I do think that there is an aspect to that as well. I think you're right that he does become a little bit more dimensional than yeah. you know. Than <clears> he's he, not just some scumbag lech. He's yeah. he's a guy who's a little creeped out and yeah, and yeah you're right, a little awkward and. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, you know, I, hey, how you, how you doing? Want to want to yeah. have a drink? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the uh, and I really do feel that if you know the if he if he he knocked on the bedroom door and it had been you know Fred by himself, he might have tried to he might have done the same thing. Just hey, mm-hmm. guy, how's it going? What's mm-hmm. going? Let's let's talk because mm-hmm. he's nervous mm-hmm. and it's and it's clear. Well, left like I say, Fred and Laura are are bedding down in, in mm. the in the living room next to the fireplace. It's not long long before Fred's 
Fred's convinced everybody, okay, everybody's in their in their beds. And he's like, all right, I'm going to check out this damn door. Yeah, this rat <laughs> story Clinton, is just not, not This rat story to, is not yeah. holding up to, not, <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not passing the smell test. I'm going to check this out. Mm-hmm. Then we get to, I don't want to go much further into the plot of this. But yeah, I was going to leave that up to you to how far well, you want to I, go. I do love the, uh, I, want, I want to talk just briefly about uh, the flashbacks to Elsa, Elsa's younger days and her father. And what, yeah. what an unrepentant lech her father was. Oh yeah, I did just boy, just yeah, not trying to hide it at all. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you how much you thought the flashbacks added to the story. Did you feel like they were, I mean, that they were all that, did they go on too, was it a little too much? Flashback. I think or, there may have been one flashback too many. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe honestly, overdid the maybe overdid the the, the, the the fellow who plays her father, George uh, uh, George uh, Regald or Re, mm-hmm. I'm not R I G A U Regold. Yeah, I guess that's Regold. Uh He's an Argentinian actor who I've seen in a few other films as well. Two hundred and five credits. <laughs> oh yeah, he was in uh, he was in plenty of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was well. You remember he was the Reverend in Eyeball. Sure was. Yeah, I mean, we we've seen him before, just yeah. in in the movies we've covered here in the podcast. Mm-hmm. But he one of the reasons why uh, I don't mind the fact that there's probably one scene too many. Uh, oh, one, he's in one the infamous, he was in the infamous Love Brides of the Blood Mummy, which you said was oh, a disappointment. Love yeah. Brides of the Blood Mummy was awful. Did not live up well, to well, his name. Well, yeah. I mean, he was in quite a number of movies. Though. All Case the colors of the, of the dark. Yeah. Uh, well, Case of the Bloody Iris. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh yeah, all the colors in the dark. You're right. That is such a great movie. Death walks on high heels. skin. So he worked with Fulci. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason I, I, yes, there probably is one more of those flashbacks to her father and her interactions than is necessary. But I like them, and I don't want them out of the film. No, because and I get the point of you know they tried to establish that that there is you know, the sexual repression that she right. lived under. Right. And and there's even a little, you know, there's definitely, when Miss Clinton comes to check in on her and, and comfort her, you know, Elsa, that, you know, there's there's definite lesbian-like overtones, right, at least right. for Miss Clinton. And I think part of the flashback is trying to make us wonder, you know, is that part of what's going on with her? Is she a repressed lesbian? Or is it just because of her father's example that's made her turned off from sex, you know? And so, yeah. I think the flashbacks, I think that's kind of my take on it too, is like, I wasn't sure what to think of my first one, second view, I was like, I think that they're, they belong, but maybe just, uh, maybe didn't necessarily need three of them or however many we end up having, you know, when it kind of goes, you know, yeah. back. So, but, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, the guy playing her father is like just. <laughs> oh, yeah, and his performance is the reason, and it's such a juicy performance because oh, yeah, he yeah. gets to be this kind of uh, unrepentant lech mm-hmm. who. Talk, who talks very directly to his daughter about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what, what, I th- what's the line he has about, uh, about, uh, uh, I, I, well, I, I don't, mm-hmm. al- I don't always, uh, you know, essentially, I don't always hit on my daughter's, uh, my daughter's friends, yeah. uh, but you know, when I do, <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's almost like the most interesting man in the world. You know, it's like know, it's like I a know. very, it's like you know, I don't always hit on women, but when I do, they're my daughter's friends. They're my or daughter's something. friends. Yes. <laughs> Oh my God! Good point. Good, good point. Yeah, but you're right. But yeah, Fred is Fred is kind of the one who sits off with the trying to find out the behind the scenes stuff that's going on, and uh, you know, kind of believes that there's something up right. here, and no, uh, it doesn't doesn't buy what's you know. Which is another reason why Fred is my hero in this movie yeah, because yeah. he's he's mm-hmm. the guy looking at the situation mm-hmm. and trying to reason out and figure mm-hmm. out what is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what. I think right there, except for a few little details that we might want to discuss, yeah, maybe, we're not going to go much further go much. into the yeah, plot. Yeah, because there's the, a lot of good things, a lot of juicy stuff going on, and it's a really fun, 
plot and a lot of really nice little scares coming up. I mean, it's yeah. like this is good. Uh, I was very impressed with uh, how effective the 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 fright scenes, you know, how how well they were filmed and well timed they were. Like yeah. where they placed them were like just man. You know, I would just get the shit out of people in the theater when they saw it. It's, you know, when they saw it back in the day, you know, some real nice uh, little ju- little effective uh, moments there. There's, a, well, it's an atmospheric film. It's a creepy movie. Um, mm-hmm. The setting, you know, it's the, the old dark house trapped in fog in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere, mm-hmm. right next to a cemetery yeah. that possibly has ghosts in it that, mm-hmm. you know, with, with rumors of an abandoned village nearby, with a vamp, with mm-hmm. possibly you know vampirism as the cause yeah, yeah. for the for the for the place being deserted, mm-hmm. a witch, a possible witch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's got so many mean? ways it could go with it, and it really takes a nearly quite a while before you realize what's going what's going on. And now you know how easy it is to get lost. Why didn't you turn back to Millen when you saw the fog beginning to come down? It seemed more sensible to spend the night down here. You see, this is my house, and I often come here, though I live in Millen. What does surprise me is that someone like you should lose your way when you know the area so well. But I, I'm a good physiognomist, generally. What does that mean? I've seen you many times. I don't remember ever having seen you. We belong to two different worlds. I'm not surprised to hear you say that. I keep having the sensation that we've crossed the frontier between the real and the unreal. I've never heard anybody mention this place before. That's not surprising. The inhabitants abandoned it years ago. I imagine they had a very good reason for doing so, don't you think? Of course, there are a lot of stories. The country folk around here are superstitious. A mysterious epidemic occurred. They say the victims died by being bitten in the throats by a vampire who drained their blood. In any case, everyone left the village. I heard that 12 people died in one night. And when their bodies were found the following morning, their relatives buried them here in the cemetery. And then everyone left this place forever, abandoning their houses, their land, everything they owned. Oh, God, do you hear that? One little bit of information, one little tidbit mm-hmm. of trivia I thought it'd be fun to uh, to throw out, which is which really kind of surprised me, but is neat. Uh, the actor who played Mr. Tremont, uh, Eduardo uh, Fajardo, mm-hmm. uh, who you know was in uh, Django and mm-hmm. uh, so many other films we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, he apparently won Best Supporting Actor in 1972 from the National Syndicate of Spectacle for this film. Oh, how cool. Yeah, that is cool. I didn't know that. And uh, although we're not talking about the final chunk of the movie, mm-hmm. which is where some of his uh, acting chops are really well shown, right. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine it. Plus, if you look at uh, the number of films he was in just in 1972, <laughs> it doesn't really... Yeah. I mean, from what we can tell here, he was in, a, what, six films? Seven films in 1972? Mm. Let's see here. He was in, besides... Murder Mansion. He was mm-hmm. in The Two Faces of Fear, mm-hmm. Sonny and Jed, Knife of Ice, uh, something called Funtava Juna, mm-hmm. and uh, Father Jack Leg, and What Am I Doing in the Middle of the Revolution? <laughs> and that's just in 1972. Wow. So uh, apparently, yeah, yeah he, cool. was, uh, he was given Best Supporting Actor from <laughs> the National Syndicate of Spectacle. And I have no idea what the National Syndicate of Spectacle is. No. I right. just report the news, <laughs> yeah. I don't research it. <laughs> I am not a journalist. <laughs> I am a news reader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, Murder Mansion. No matter what title you see it under, 
it, uh, this is a good film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I of course could hope for there's a there's a there's a good looking Spanish DVD from what I understand, mm-hmm. but I could really hope for uh, a really great mm-hmm. DVD release of this yeah, film. Yeah, I know. Uh, It'd be great because it's 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 a beautiful looking film, mm-hmm. even in the the, the yeah. less than stellar presentations that you can catch on uh, crappy mm-hmm. DVD sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a really fun movie mm-hmm. for any horror fan i think you can get a kick out of this uh like i said the the i read through at least five to five seven or eight i can't remember i lost mm-hmm. track of the number of views i read mm-hmm. online every one of them positive yeah so i'm not alone and i'm yeah. certainly not alone in my admiration yeah. for this movie yeah and uh the uh the, the it's effective it's it's well played it's well done and it's just one of those neat little rough gems that mm-hmm. uh uh, much like something like Night of the Living Dead just got caught up in public domain and therefore is kind of out there to be discovered mm-hmm. very easily yeah. by almost anyone who cares to look. Yeah. And so I would like to encourage people to do so. I think this is a movie well worth your time and effort. So I agree. I agree. I definitely highly recommend it. Um, you know, we didn't really get to, get to the point where any of the things come up. You know, I'm sure we both probably could point out a couple of things that don't totally... Yes. Ring true. A couple of things that don't totally add up. But when you're dealing with something like but this, it but it only seems to occur to you after yeah, the fact and it or on a second, on a second immediate view. Yeah, and it doesn't shake up the entire thing. No. I mean, overall, it is a very tightly scripted, well thought out uh, film. And I think that no matter what you think or may hope the film will be, of all these various possibilities that we show, it throws out in the first half of the film of what we could be. I don't think that. Whatever with the way it ends up, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Whatever you were expecting, no. hoping it'll be, I think you'll find it all satisfying overall. Uh, the way it does tie together, the way right. that it does make sense, you know, and the and the couple of things that maybe don't quite ring true, I think, are pretty minimal uh, when you take in the overall. Of it oh, there, I agree. So. The uh, the one thing is, I, I there there are places like there's a really good review of this on the. Uh, the, uh, the the hysteria continue or the uh, the hysteria lives website, which is a, mm-hmm. a site uh, primarily devoted to uh, slasher films, mm-hmm. but they also uh, delve deeply into the the kind of the pre, the predecessors, the precursors of the slasher uh, genre, such as Giallo and Krimi, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that uh, they review um, uh, Mr. Kurzweil, the the guy who wrote the the slasher book, the uh, Teenage mm-hmm. Wasteland. Oh yeah, uh, and he does the podcast, The Hysteria Continues. Uh, he wrote this review of Murder Mansion for that website, and uh, he kind of he kind his kind of uh, reason given is that it's it's basically falls under the giallo umbrella. Mm-hmm. I would argue against it falling under the mm-hmm. giallo umbrella, except for the fact that the ending has that same feel for me of satisfaction you get from a well written mm-hmm. twisty turny giallo yeah. that clicks perfectly into place at the end. Mm-hmm. Now, like I say, not all of the grooves fit perfectly into mm-hmm. the gears on mm-hmm. this one, mm-hmm. uh, but that's something that you really only get well after the fact yeah. because yeah. when things start to play out and start to, to start, the, let's just say when the cards start to be placed on the table, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're really more impressed with the bluff yeah. than you are with the, with the, the way mm-hmm. the game eventually turns out. It's really effectively done. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is uh, like I say. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it in the giallo category. For me, it's really no, kind of a murder so, mystery slash horror movie slash mm-hmm. old dark house creepy creep fest. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that, it is it is fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. I gave it a seven. It was my you know oh, really? very solid seven on that. It's one. It's a film that I would really 
I mean, I think I would recommend to to most anybody who is who is you know a fan of of I think you know horror cinema, you know horror and, and mysteries and that sort of thing. You know, I think it's a yeah, I'd, I'd have no problems with with recommending somebody watching it. You know, it's, it's I think it's a really good really good film. Uh, I actually end up giving it an eight. Yeah, cool. Uh, cool. I really, really like it. I think mm-hmm. that's. I think I felt that strongly about it the very first yeah. time I viewed it years cool. ago. Cool. It's uh, it's very solid. It's very strong. Um, it's just well played, well put together. It's mm-hmm. a fun film. Murder Mansion. Seek it out. Yes, definitely. And definitely. Uh, you know, Joe Flaherty is not in this. <laughs> no, but yeah, Joe Flaherty with his his big bulging eyes, you know, staring, popping out of their sockets. That would it would have been a neat addition to yeah to the film, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such a beautiful one. Well, I tell you what, folks, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we will dive into our overflowing mailbag mm-hmm. and talk to you about what people have say have to say to us. Yeah, and what we'll be doing next. Exactly. There are a lot of podcasts out there that do science fiction, horror, and fantasy movies, but how many of them are done by somebody who's been watching this shit for? half a century. Hi, my name's Terry Frost and I do the Martian Drive-In Podcast, a podcast where I look at silent films all the way through to movies from the second decade of the 21st century. I look at fantasy, horror and science fiction and talk about them, sometimes with a guest, sometimes by myself, but always with an eye to the stuff that maybe has slipped off your radar if it was ever on your radar. So go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or type Martian Drive-In Podcast into iTunes and enjoy a bit of decent genre talk. And keep watching the skies. Hello everyone, this is Dan, back to normal, I guess you would say, after such a great, great movie that we did last month, being Rojo Sangre. Anyway, we're back to normal, and I have a new Rojo segment for you. This is concerning Wolfman Max Chiller Drive-In Theater. Wolfman Max Chiller Drive-In is a horror host series hosted by Wolfman Matt Kelly. It currently airs Saturday nights at 10 p.m., on the Retro Television Network. The show typically features vintage sci-fi and horror films, mostly public domain, like Nosferatu, Teenage Zombies, and Night of the Living Dead, etc., enhanced with retro commercials, nostalgic clips, but mostly skits. Each episode is recorded at Erebus Haunted Attraction in Pontiac, Michigan. The show was started by Matt Kelly in July of 2007, as Wolfman Max Nightmare Cinema. After some legal disputes with the show's original producers, the title was changed to Wolfman Max Chiller Drive-In, and in November of 2009, the show started being broadcast nationally when it was added to the programming schedule on the Retro Television Network, or RTV. It needs to be said that one of the more original things about Chiller is that the character of Boney Bob is one of the only horror host characters that I know of that is purely ventriloquist voice throwing.
Hey, Wolfpack, welcome to the Chiller Drive-In. Hey, this is our refurbished old haunted drive-in, the old projection booth here. Hey, a lot of you have known about the old haunted drive-in, but what you don't know, and what I'm going to tell you right now, is that the Chiller Drive-In is actually part of a whole town. It's tucked away in some deep, spooky woods called Hauntington Heights. <laughs> it's just like any other town, only in this one, it's nothing to see werewolves, vampires, and zombies. Oh my! Why, here in Hauntington Heights, hey, we've got our own Ghoul's Deli. It's right up the street. You'd love it. Hey, it's the only place you can walk in and order yourself a side of New York Stripper. And the other thing, hey, we've got our own hangout here. It's called the Zombie go go In fact, that's where you cats will see all your favorite local bands playing. But you tuned in to watch some great old bad B-horror and sci-fi movies. And we got a real good one for you tonight. This one is from overseas. It's part of our monster movie mayhem. Get it? Mayhem? Because it's may. Anyway, this one comes from jolly old England. Oh, no. We're not going to hear from Wolfman Nigel again, are we? No, no, no. no. We're going to stay right here at the old Haunted Projection booth. We're going to bring you the 1961 classic Gorgo. Oh, yeah? Well, before you do, somebody better fix these speakers. Yeah, where'd you get these, anyway? Someone ripped them off last week, but don't worry. I caught the little monsters. Sadly, Matt Kelly announced in January of 2013 that the program would cease creating new shows though networks would still carry the programs as reruns. Due to the fact that almost every episode of Chiller Drive-In used public domain movies, the only Nashi flick that was used was Fury of the Wolfman in 2010. The interesting thing about that show was that it wasn't broadcast on TV, but on the internet. And being that Mac used writers with themes for each episode, no arrows of sarcasm were aimed at the Nashi film, or really any other film for that matter. The films on Chiller were touted on whatever positive merits the film being shown had to offer. And it was great talking to head artist Steve Chapuski on Facebook the day after Fury was ran, explaining that Elena and some of her friends were watching from Madrid, and that's why they were hits from Spain. This month's song has a great Nashi tie-in as well. The song is about werewolves and is from Germany. Sadly, the Germany of the past has a negative mark on Nashi that you can read about in his biography. But the positive is that the Nashi fan base is a lot larger in Germany than in America. And they are releasing the subculture DVD box set called Paul Nashi, Legacy of a Wolfman, when no one else is. The band is Powerwolf and consists of four Germans and a Hungarian singer who came straight from classical opera. The existing Hungarian folk tales about werewolves are at the core of this power metal band's lyrical theme. Nashi's son Bruno is a very big, big fan of this band, way more than I am, but they're growing on me. From the band's 2011 album, The Blood of the Saints, here is Night of the Werewolves. Seed 
dog, wolf, and man we Actually, uh, I'm really becoming fond of that band. Yeah, that was some good stuff. Thanks, Dan. Uh, excellent stuff. Uh, that was a really, really cool song. 
And also, uh, you know, I know what he's talking about with the German fandom. I remember from the documentary, you know, the the the, the man who saw Frankenstein cry, the Nashi documentary, yeah. when he showed his convention appearances uh, and and the one he was doing in, in Germany, that they were just like, you know, people were like, I want my whole life to meet you, you know, and just <laughs> people going nuts over uh, over Nashi there. So uh, yeah, he was very much beloved there with good reason. And mm-hmm. it uh, it's always I always love to hear about uh, not just older horror hosts, mm-hmm. but uh, newer horror hosts yeah. too. Yeah. And it's good to know, I mean, although apparently they're not producing new shows, as he said, but mm. still it is nice to, to hear that snippet from it and to realize that was very, that was very well written and well performed. Mm. And uh, if uh, if they really were treating the films with uh, with respect, that's nice. I, I kind of mm. like that. So yeah. I, I, yeah. I very much like that. Well, listen, let's uh, let's dive into the mailbag here because we have uh, quite a few to get through. Uh drowned out this time around. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is from uh, regular correspondent Mark. Uh, from across the pond, uh, he this one uh, focuses on our last two episodes, Nashicast forty nine and fifty. He says, "Hey fellas, happy fifth birthday! Great to see you, gents, still doing your thing after all these years. Let's hope there's still a few more Nashy gems to unearth before you're through." Not wishing to dampen the atmosphere by ta- by talking about life after the Nashicast, but I'm hoping you'll both continue to discuss Spanish horror and the bloody pit. I can't imagine a world that doesn't include Rod and Troy in Castilian conversation. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I like that. He says, speaking of the bloody pit, have you decided which film will be the subject of your next controversial kaiju? Yes, 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 yeah, yes, yes. We have more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he says, uh, frankly, I've gone Godzilla, Godzilla bonkers since Christmas. My wife bought me the original 1954 Godzilla, which was a much deeper, more poignant film than I expected, and Godzilla versus Gigan. Or Gigon? Gigon. Gigon? Well, I mean, that's what I always called him. I okay. think it's Gigon. I, 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 I figured yeah. I had the big G expert in the room, I better mm-hmm. ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, uh, Godzilla vs. Gigon, which was exactly the glorious four-monster mashup I was hoping for. I even showed it to my kids, who delighted in telling me that the monsters looked like they were made of sponge. Mm-hmm. But as we all know, kids these days are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay. it's funny. I'm, I'm going to be doing... For the third straight year, I'm uh, in a couple of weeks here. I'm going to be exhibiting my Godzilla collection at the Adventure Science Center, the museum here cool. uh, in Nashville. You know, I've done uh, and uh, um, one thing that's nice about that is that it, it it's good because you will meet. I do meet a lot of kids there who obviously know who can quote Godzilla chapter and verse and watch the films. And I'm you know because I you know otherwise you know you find yourself worrying sometimes about our kids now seeing too much elaborate in the way of video games. And movies, the special effects, the CGI, that they can't suspend their disbelief to appreciate older special effects. And I think there probably are kids who can't do that. But I, when I do these, I always meet enough young kids who who uh, who who obviously are nuts about Godzilla fa- films, and so obviously they are able to do that. That it, it doesn't you know affect their enjoyment of the films. You know the good to the, know. The, oh, yes, it is because yeah, you do worry about you today's youth sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Yeah, yes, so <laughs> so poorly formed in the brain department. That's right. Yes, yes. He says, uh, okay, sorry, back to Mark. Mm-hmm. He says, Rojo Sangre sounds like a cracker of a film. For some reason, I never got around to buying the DVD, although it's sad to hear that the Shriek, Shriek Show release is non-anamorphic. Uh, it, I'm definitely going to add this to the list. It's a shame that Dan had to spoil the piss out of the ending, but he's just about <laughs> redeemed himself by sharing that marvelous Pete and Dud skit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 let's not, let's, not, let's not make Dan feel bad. I know, I know, it's... But it, uh, you're you're right. The 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 uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore stuff is awesome. always yeah. always a winner. Mm-hmm. Quick question: I've heard Rod mention MOD uh, MOD 
that's made on demand discs mm -hmm. a couple of times in the bloody pit. Are these discs packaged in the same way as standard retail discs, i.e. with printed labels and sleeves? There are a couple of DVDs I've been tempted to buy, but they are generally quite expensive, and I want to be sure I'm getting a decent package and not just a blank disc in a plastic sleeve. Uh, what I've talked about before, Mark, is... Uh, this is right. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, I, I've, I've bought a number of discs and uh, gotten a number of discs in different fashion from the Warner Archives stuff. Uh, and they are uh, burn-on-demand discs. They're MOD discs. Uh, and I've been very happy with uh, with all of them. Not had any trouble with them whatsoever. They they are packaged just like a normal DVD. They hmm. have uh, you know notes, uh, sleeve liner. Uh, they're they're you know they have artwork a, on the front. Artwork on the front yeah. of the disc. Yeah. Uh, you know uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, they do, they uh, they do not have a lot of extras. Sometimes they will have. They, they will have, have any. I didn't know that. They oh yeah, any, really. yeah. Often often they'll have the trailer for the film. Okay. Which is about the kind of a standard extra. That's okay. most most films. I just rewatched uh, their uh, Warner Archives disc of uh, the Wild North. One of okay. my favorite. Uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, Canadian mounted mm. police movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, last night with uh, Stuart Granger and mm -hmm. uh, Wendell Corey. It's a Warner Archive disc, and I watched it last night. And the only extra on it is the the trailer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I watched the trailer after I watched the movie. I've seen the movie three or four times. Finally saw the trailer, and the trailer sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that trailer would not have enticed me to see this movie, <laughs> even with it touting the you yeah. know the big the avalanche and the and the, and yeah. the massive you know wolf fight. Right. Uh, it was still, but the but the, the they'll have the trailers on there sometimes. They're also doing. Um, Blu-rays of certain movies. Mm -hmm. uh, they've done Out of the Past, The Picture of Dorian Gray, uh, Kismet, the, Americaniza the Americanization of Emily, The Great Race. And on those, they are including extras. There are commentary tracks and things like that when they do them in, when they do them in uh, Blu-ray sets uh, or when they do them as a Blu-ray. And there are some special edition films that they've done where they've included a couple of other extras besides just the trailer as well. Mm -hmm. I do believe that the special edition of uh, the TV movie Don't Be Afraid of the Dark has a commentary track. Oh, nice. I think. Okay. Uh, so there, there are the occasional extras. Don't go into it for that. Go into it yeah. for a really good presentation of the movie you're looking for. Yeah, they're a little more pricey than they ought to be. So I only buy them when I can get them for ten bucks or less. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that that they they often have sales like that throughout the year where you can get like five of them for fifty bucks, right. uh, things yeah. like that. And so then it's really well worth yeah. going ahead and grabbing a few of them. Uh, so I can uh, I can recommend the Warner Archive stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are a few others that I've that, that I've got my hands on. Some of the uh, stuff that is that are sold uh, that are sold directly through Turner Classic Movie, the Turner Classic uh, Movies website, mm -hmm. which are specific to just Turner Classics. Uh, some of the obscure Universal horrors from uh, from uh, like the Mad Ghoul and uh, mm -hmm. was it Mad Doctor Market Street and stuff like that. And those have been really good discs as well. So. I can recommend them. I've not had the first bit of trouble with them. So. Cool. Um, let's see. He says, I know it's a bit late in the day, but I hope you gents had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, I've just about finished working my way through my presents. I won't bore you with the details, but special mention must be given to the BFI Ghost Stories for Christmas box set no, and that. Shout Factory's Tales from the Crypt slash Vault of Horror Doubleville. Yeah, really. Yeah, that, I also that, yeah, that go, British ghost stories, man, yeah. are just awesome. I would love to have that kind of collection. Uh, well, our buddy John Davis has has access has, has has acquired the, uh, yeah, the, the that, sure uh, next, that new yeah, set of yeah. BFI ghost stories yeah. for Christmas. I'm already looking forward to next Christmas is Ghost Night, and I'll because I'm sure we'll be delving <laughs> into those. 
He says, uh, I also managed to get a copy of the French DVD of Jess Franco's The Other Side of the Mirror. It's not English-friendly, and my French isn't all it could be, but the picture quality is stunning. Plus, it features a star turn from Emma Cohen, so it is pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah, Emma Cohen is always welcome here. I have a bootleg print around here somewhere with English subtitles on it. I haven't watched it yet. Okay. So I've got to do that. That was The Other Side of the Mirror uh, was, has been considered one of the, the kind, of, uh, kind of lost film until yeah. just a couple, just about a year and a half ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, the second disc in the box has a stronger cut of the film with added Lena Romay sex scenes. Not as good as it sounds, but better than a kick in the teeth. <laughs> if a subtitled version appears, I would certainly recommend it for a bloody, bloody pit episode. Did you fellas get any decent presents? Uh, yeah, I did. But it was two months ago and I can't remember anymore. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I got all kinds of good stuff. I guess the, the, the things that stand out most in my mind is uh, I, I kind of held off for a... Because as I've said on this show before, and you know, I am a fan of the most recent Godzilla film, the American Godzilla yeah. film, the most recent one that came out last year, I was very pleased with. Um, so I wanted, so I was willing to, I was wanting to add a figure of that Godzilla to my massive collection, uh, but I wanted to wait until a really good one came out. And there's a company called uh, Tamashi Nations SH Monster Arts, or is kind of kind of the long-winded, wordy name of the company, but they are doing some incredible uh, kaiju figures, very poseable, but also very detailed, very seamless, and. Uh, um, I knew that they would do a great job on the new Godzilla, and they did. And that was that was one of my Christmas presents. Was that one is now in my collection. Cool. And also uh, another one I was very excited about is uh, I got the Shout Factory uh, complete Pee Wee's Playhouse uh, Blu-ray set, oh, cool. uh, which is uh, yeah. So that was that was one of the the other major gifts I got that was I was really happy about. So yeah. Very cool, very cool, and I I am being honest when I say that I can't just totally forgotten. I've completely I can't I can't remember. Uh, hear that, of, hearing, hearing how grateful Rod is to all those great gifts you, you got him there. Like, well, here's one I can point to because you said it was Christmas. He's got oh, a really yeah. awesome uh, action figure of Sam from the great movie Trick or Treat. Uh, That's the true. Iconic figure that. Sam. Uh, it's actually one of those that's done in the style of the Funko. Old, it's the Funko. Yeah, Funko, Funko stuff. And oh, well, it's really I, cool well I, did get, uh, I did get the excellent new Blu-ray of Planet of the Vampires, Mario Bava's film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, it's got uh, Tim uh, Tim Luke is doing a commentary track on it, so mm-hmm. <clears throat> that thrilled me to get yeah. my hands on that. I seem to recall that somebody gave you a book about horror mu- music called yes, uh, Music, music Fantastic, Fantastic, which was the first of I think what's supposed to be a four volume series. We'll see if the other volumes actually ever come out. But based on what I saw with the first volume, it looks pretty cool. Though. Looks true, like true, good. true. Um, music Fantastic, yeah. I, I did get a I did get a number of things on disc, but um, the only ones I'm remembering off the top of my head are uh, I finally got the Blu-ray of Psycho. Mm, yeah, big big fan of. Psycho. Is that the Steelbox little? Is that no, the it was, it's 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 that Blu-ray, but it's not but it's you know not it, it's not got any fancy package. Right, <laughs> it's not right. got any fancy packaging. Right. Which often I I'm not that worried about the, the right. fancy packaging yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I really I hate to say it, but I'm drawing a blank. I know I got a, I, I got. A lot of stuff, and mm-hmm. damn if I remember what the hell it all is. Mm-hmm. It has been two months, and I've slept since then. <laughs> Holy crap, people, don't put me on the spot like that. <laughs> oh, my all right. God. Well, thanks, Mark, as always, for yes, uh, keeping Thank in you. touch with us. And uh, I will read now. This is one from KR, who uh, he says, Rod and Troy, congratulations on your 50th Nashi cast. Incredible accomplishment for two country boys in the Spanish horror genre. Yeah, I, <laughs> I yes. agree. It's yeah, it's like uh, 
Yeah, yeah, you don't, we mostly, you know, other than playing the banjo, we, we, we do watch occasional Spanish. Well, right? that and waiting for our teeth to fall. That's right. He says, you guys are the best with Nashi's work, and you saved Rojo as it should be for a milestone entry. Rojo's production values are top-notch for a Nashi film. Plot, body, and story structure are also very well done. Solid five-star Amazon rating. Nashi is at his best in the twilight of his career in Rojo. He never lets us down with his clever execution of dark character-driven horrific murders and still has some Nashi musk left. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he did. He carried it with him to the end there. Uh, I bet even his grave is, is I'm sure, emitting a Nashi he, musk. Emitting musk from, na- yes, exactly. from beyond the grave. He said, I wish more Nashi films were produced to this quality. The film really shows really shows off like a polished Hollywood production. Not sure if Nashi would take that as a compliment or not. I think he would. He would. He would. Anyway, great review, guys. You covered all the highlights and gave it the due it deserved. Congrats. Looking forward to the next 50s. Sincerely, sincerely, KR. Thank you so much, KR. really appreciate that. Thank appreciate you very much. Words. Yes, yes, yes. Always always glad to hear uh, positive things about the podcast, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next up we've got uh, correspondence from Jason, a uh, fellow podcaster, actually. He says, hello, Rod and Troy. Just wanted to say congrats on making it to 50 episodes. Your thorough discussion of Nashi films is a pleasure to listen to and appreciated. I was always aware of Paul Nashi, but was too busy watching Crazier Fair back in the tape trading days. I picked up many of those great Nashi DVDs and was glad I waited to see decent versions of these films. Then along came the Nashi cast and the special antenna. <laughs> Thanks for schooling me in Nashi and Spanish horror. Nashi's brand of tragic monsters, boobies, and a smattering of gore is the perfect comfort viewing for this man baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Jason. It is, it is. He says, I really enjoy Rod railing against poor theater, man- poor theater manners, fanboys, the current Universal Monsters Unite plans, and humanity in general, with Joy and Troy gently egging him on. Good listening. Do I do that? Do I egg you on? Yes, you do. <laughs> Just because I occasionally say the words like Michael Bay or, you know, or, or Van Helsing or, you know, <laughs> things like, like that. that. He says, thanks, guys. Here's to another five years. I'll be listening. Jay. All right. Thanks, Jay. Thank Appreciate you, that. Man. Thank you very much. All right. Cool. Well, moving on, I'm going to read one from Court. Court says his title is Congratulations and Happy 50th Episode. He says, hello, Cast. Talk about milestones going unnoticed. Is it 50 episodes and no fans mailing in the congratulations and praise that you guys have earned? Yes, we have, we have already, as they say in the Bible, rent our garments over that one. So There was much gnashing of cheese. Yes, there was. Uh, he says, I have been listening since nearly the beginning, and I personally feel terrible that I didn't get this into you guys before the big show. I think that the lack of email and voicemail may be due both to, to both your fans not knowing for sure when the episodes will be released and the procrastination of said fans thinking they had more time. <laughs> and I, I know what that's like yes he says my hypothesis is based on the fact that this is what happened to me <laughs> he says regardless of this, why this occurred I wanted to get, try to get this into you guys before the Murder Mansion shows you guys mentioned the Joe Flaherty TV show known under the film's alternate title of Maniac Mansion but were you aware of a LucasArts Nintendo game of the same name it's more a rare game and one that I loved as a kid and still play from time to time. I was like, no, I'm not aware of that. I remember like not, Castle- not until this email was out. I remember Castlevania was one that I used to think was pretty cool. Uh, my little brother had that. We used to play that some, and uh, but uh, I didn't know that there was one called Maniac Mansion. Um, he says about the same name. Now I'm assuming it was not based on the Flaherty TV show, although I guess it could have been. But uh, um, he says uh, the plot of the game. Oh, here we go. He's going to describe. He says the plot of the game. Could be something out of Nash's filmography with a family of a mad scientist being controlled by a living meteor inside a maze-like mansion that has a choose-your-own-adventure game engine. 
there's a sentient tentacle. Now, I love that phrase. A it's sentient not that, tentacle, Sentient yes. tentacle. That'd be a great name for a band. There's a sentient tentacle. Or like sentient. just a production. A sentient... What do you mean? Production company. A, the, a sentient tentacle <laughs> production would be awesome. That's a great... Anyway, there is a sentient tentacle as a lab assistant and other weird tidbits that make the game live up to its title as it is truly a mansion of maniacs. And speaking of which, Maniac Mansion would have, I think, been a... I think Murder Mansion does work better for the show, the movie we did tonight... Yeah. Than Maniac Mansion, you know, because Maniac oh, yeah. Mansion, the, the film's uh, treats are a little too subtle for a name like that, and all. Yeah, that sounds more over the top. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he says, as for Murder Mansion, I found the film to be fun, atmospheric, and it felt like the cla- it felt like the classic, The Haunting, mixed with a touch of the Exterminating Angel and a pinch of, of Night of the Living Dead. Wow, yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah, that's I like that. That's bad. a pretty cool little, yeah, pretty cool little way to describe it. There, cool. Thanks, Torch. Appreciate that. Okay, we've got one left here. This is from Nick. Now, uh, Nick is a new writer to uh, the podcast, but he has become a regular commenter on my blog, The Bloody Pit of Rod. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, um, I'm really shocked when he doesn't comment on one blog post or another, and he's always got some neat little comment or a question for me. Uh, Cool. uh, Sometimes I make the mistake of... uh, of posting up something and then he comes up with a question that I never considered which mm-hmm. is alternately uh, fascinating and irritating so <laughs> it's like I've never really thought about what the worst Frankenstein movies are hold on a minute let me think <laughs> shit this may take a day yeah but uh, Nick writes in and he says uh, congratulations on your milestone I've been listening to your show for probably three or four years and could definitely say this and Beyond Nashy are my favorite podcasts I will definitely have to check out Roho I, I could never get into any newer Nashi films due to the quality, but since you two insist, I will seek it out. Murder Mansion is a movie I really enjoy as well. Those 50 movie packs are how I discovered Murder Mansion and also Paul mm. Nashi in general. Uh, yeah. Once that episode is posted, I will give it a listen. Until next time, Nick. Cool. Short, sweet, and to the point. <laughs> Thank and you, like Nick. I say, Nick's, Nick's main, uh, main, main cause... Uh, main point of contention in my life is just making me think of things I've not thought of. So, every time I post up something on the blog, I'm like, well, is Nick going to ask me some bizarre question about this that I hadn't thought about before? And generally, the answer is yes. And it caused you to have to go back and rewrite the whole damn thing. No, no, no. It's just usually, it really is something along the lines of, uh, like I posted up, uh, what was it, something about, uh, uh, oh, it's when I, I, I released a, a little in-between episode of movie music. I welded together about 45 minutes of different movie Oh, yeah, films. right. And one of the things I put in there was the theme from a pretty crappy movie called Frankenstein 1980, or Frankenstein 80, mm-hmm. which is, of course, made in the 1970s, because it was the future then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the music is fantastic. Cool. And so I used the movie poster for that as kind of just threw that up there as a picture for the blog. Oh, nice. And he said, well, what, what do you think the worst Frankenstein movies are? Yeah. And I was like, well, damn it. And I had to think about it for a day or two before I could think of, you know, I was like, well, okay, hold on. Let me think. Yeah, yeah. And then I came up with some pretty crappy ones and there we go. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, does, uh, he, he does keep me on my toes on the blog, and that is great. Comments and uh, feedback are the lifeblood of a blog and or a podcast. And you can ask anyone who does a podcast. You can see the download numbers and know that a lot of people are, mm-hmm. are listening to the show. Mm-hmm. But it's a very different thing when those people respond and either tell you what they like or don't like or mm. respond and give you thought, food for thought that had not crossed your mind on its own. So remember, people, please keep in touch with us. It's always great to hear from you. Uh, if you've seen Murder Mansion or not seen Murder Mansion, 
does this podcast make you want to either watch it again or watch it for the first time? And if so, then we've done our job. Exactly. This is uh, this is one of the things. This is one of the great joys of both fanzines mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and podcasting. Yes, which is we hope to not just share our love of these things, but to entice other people to check them out as well. Yeah, yeah. Spread the love. Definitely, definitely. Put it out there. And uh, while we've got you all feeling guilty about your lack of emails to us, over <laughs> last, uh, uh, I will mention that we're coming up on Rondo Awards season again soon. Now oh, they yeah, haven't, they, uh, they have not posted the ballots yet, but they are definitely at this point uh, taking nominations. So if any of you should feel inclined to, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, go over to the Rondo forum or onto their site and, and, you know, and just put in a little word for us as a nomination, we'd appreciate it. We've been nominated every year so far. We would certainly like to keep the streak going if uh, if we can True. if we can uh, and uh, um, also our friend Dr. Gangreen um, has uh, uh, been doing a fantastic uh, series about the films of Vincent Price he's been doing it all himself and they're very well done he's been going chronologically through every film Vincent Price has uh, has made I'm really hoping that he's going to uh, uh, be nominated for that because I think he definitely deserves it and I think that Dr. Gangreen Larry Underwood is a uh, uh, at upcoming Horror Hound is going to be getting an award yeah. for yeah uh, for horror host and uh, so I'm really really proud of him and, and our congratulations go out to our good friend Larry and uh, for uh, for uh, getting this award definitely definitely it's 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 always impressive to see someone do this type of work mm-hmm. but it's also it, it's it's doubly impressive to see this kind of work being done well yeah and it's also nice when it's someone that you know and you know that their passion for this is yeah. something that is natural this is not yeah, something that was definitely. done calculatedly this is something mm-hmm. that was done out of love of the genre and love of the of the subject matter and uh, that is definitely what is that's definitely true of Larry yep. his, uh, his Dr. Gangreen character everything he's done with it has been a labor of love mm-hmm. and uh, you're right the, the Vincent Price series he's been doing um it's fantastic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, I think are we ready to uh, oh, yeah. talk, let's, about let's talk about what's this. coming up next? So next month, uh, we will be uh, taking a brief one-month break, as we have once before from the Nashi cast slash Beyond Nashi stream of things. And much as we did last November, mm-hmm. we're going to jump ship, run over to the uh, bloody pit, and uh, return to the land of the big G. Yeah, controversial kaiju time it is again. That's right. Our second Godzilla episode, our second controversial kaiju episode, we're going to cover another Godzilla movie. So in March, you won't be getting any Nashi talk, any Spanish horror talk. You'll be getting Godzilla talk. Mm-hmm. So good. what are we covering, Troy? It's Well, it is uh, as if you were in the land of the rising sun. You would call it Godzilla versus Hydra or Hidora or however they say it. And uh, uh, if you're here, you would call it Godzilla versus the smog monster. And, yes, uh, one of the very truly weirdest Godzilla films. Uh, it actually comes right on the heels of the ones we one we did in our first episode, Godzilla's Revenge. This is the very next film they did. Uh, but as we will see, without going into too much detail now, the time has been a little kinder to it uh, than Godzilla's Revenge. We'll go into that and uh, why this film was made, why it ended up the way it did, uh, what's so weird and controversial about it, why people are divided on it. And uh, yeah, it's a big old smelly sludgy uh, <laughs> sludgy film there now, and so uh, it is a it, it is a less divisive film than our previous topic yeah, for yeah. Godzilla, and more so as time goes on. So it's, yeah. it's you know it was yeah, so uh, it has its champions, whereas for years it didn't, but now it does. Uh, so yeah, so we're looking forward to talking about Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, a film that's very dear to my heart, has a very uh, significant place in my Godzilla upbringing. It's the first Godzilla film I ever saw in the theater. 
Uh, and yes, I had a very, very fantastic memory there of uh, going with my, my dear mother. Uh, it's one of the nice memories I always think of. of mom, mom, so what a great mom she was. She took me to see Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster when I was all of five years old and now I'm in the theater. So yeah, pretty cool. Very cool. And she was man. a wonderful woman. So All right. Well, uh, man, that's next month. We'll be talking more Godzilla. Huh, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't yeah. seen Godzilla vs. Smog Monster in a couple of years, so mm-hmm. looking forward to a rewatch and yeah. uh, delving into its details. Yeah. We so were folks, so we were so late with this episode. That episode is going to seem yeah. like you barely you barely, barely turned the corner, and here it is. So. Yeah, I know. We had, uh, in case you were unaware, this one got delayed uh, because of the intense ice storm that we've had here in mm. Nashville for the past week and a half. So this was getting out a little later than average. For that, we apologize, but man, wasn't much we could do about it. No, no. So. Thank you once again for, for downloading and listening. Um, remember, you can get a hold of us at nashicast at gmail.com or join us over on the NashiCast Facebook page. If you've got any suggestions for us, either for the Bloody Pit or for the NashiCast or any Beyond Nashi episodes, hey, go on over to the NashiCast Facebook page and, and uh, clue us in on that. Drop us a line at the email address. However you want to contact us, it's fine with us. So uh, I guess until next time, uh, I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And keep them flying, folks, and keep it warm. I don't even want to think about what that means. (laughs)